0: Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host as always, Liam Edwards, the man with the strange gift of banishing lovely people from the video games world to a deserted place, where they can only take 8 games with them to play for the rest of their days. And I thank you for joining us for the 76th episode of the show. Joining me this week is a guest who has her fingers in many pies, occupying and containing knowledge about a multifaceted amount of different aspects of video games. Even for her young age, her knowledge about retro video games, systems, and the industry far surpasses most. Maybe that has something to do with owning a video game store, though. As well as having her own YouTube channel where she talks about anything from Pokemon to more obscure Japanese systems such as the Bandai Pladia. In a channel which has, um, over just a year, amassed a huge 71,000 subscribers. Most of you might know her best for her regular guest appearances on Metal Jesus Rocks, one of the most subscribed to retro gaming YouTube channels on the platform with well over half a million. Over the years, alongside host Metal Jesus, my guest has taught us all about some wonderfully rare and obscure gaming pieces from Japan her obsession with Animal Crossing, one I'm sure my friend Aya would love to hear about, and all manner of other aspects of retro game collecting. When not filming YouTube videos, my guest can be found recording a podcast and going to work at her day job. Her day job, you ask? Owning her own video game store. Since 2016, one of Seattle's most famous video game stores, Pink Gorilla, has been under the ownership of my guest. I can't even begin to imagine how hard it was for my guest to narrow down her list today to just eight, with so many incredible and great games staring back at her on a daily basis. I'm very excited to say that joining me today is YouTuber, podcaster, video game store owner extraordinaire, Miss Kelsey Lewin. Hello, Kelsey.
1: Hello. Wow, that was quite the intro for me. I feel, like a, I feel like a pretty accomplished person now.
0: Yes. I, I mean, as I have stated, you've you got a lot going on. I
1: do. I do have that a it? lot going on. <laughs> I'm glad it's <laughs> obvious because I feel bad sometimes with the, uh, you know, content tends to be kind of slow on my end. So if it's obvious to you, then, then that makes me happy.
0: Yeah, you you seem to be popping up all over the place, and I imagine, like, recently, with, you know, this sort of everything that happens with, you know, uh, Metal Jesus and his channel and the stuff you're doing on your own channel, I've seen your, uh, you've are you been making a lot of uh, convention sort of runs these days and doing, like, panels and stuff, so it's even more now. We've got even more going on.
1: <laughs> it doesn't end, but I like it all, so that's, that's uh, the big challenge is it's like, well, I could be less busy if I cut one of these things, but I like all of them, so...
0: I could you have do. more time to play <laughs> games, but I'd rather be talking about them. All this, it's that thing, isn't it? Oh, my job involves video games, but I rarely get time to play them, which is the faux pas of working in the games industry in some aspects.
1: I'm sure that's what most of your guests have had to say, too.
0: <laughs> yes. Usually one of my questions is, do you get much time to play games? And they're usually like, eh, when I'm on a plane... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is the beauty of the switch i guess these days and obviously we've had portables for a long time but kelsey thank you so much for joining me today it's a wonderful pleasure to have you here i'm a huge fan of like the content you do do on youtube and uh i feel like we are kindred spirits i mean looking at your list alone it, it, it could almost pass as my own list in some oh, aspects
1: that's which- awesome
0: which is very cool for me and uh, in terms of like the kindred spirit thing in terms of like when I watch the stuff you talk about it's all the stuff that interests me like when I'm here in Japan and I go to like the retro game stores that is the kind of stuff I look at as well so good on you for the content you do (laughs)
1: thank you thank you
0: so it is a pleasure to have you here today so please for maybe the listeners who maybe uh only maybe sort of getting into the videos now they've seen your face around on like mel jesus channel and stuff please tell us about a little bit about what it is you uh sort of doing these days because as i said your day job is owning a video game you own your own video game store which is cool as heck um and quite a well-known video game store in your area as well but also you're balancing all this youtube stuff tell me how did you sort of get into all of this
1: I, I think the dominoes just kind of started falling one by one until all of a sudden I was surrounded by all of this stuff that I'm doing. It was, <laughs> I never set out to do really any of this, to be perfectly honest. Um, I couldn't be happier, but uh, it was never like, I never sat down when I was eight years old and was like, I'm going to own a game store and I'm going to be on YouTube. Well, YouTube wasn't around back then. I was going to say, I mean. you'd
0: be like, yeah. <laughs> you'd be going into the wrong business. You should be like a fortune teller if you knew that.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, so basically i've always loved video games and i so when i moved to seattle there was this awesome game store uh, i went to the university of washington so right across the street from the university of washington was this cool game store called pink gorilla uh they happened to be hiring my freshman year and i applied and bugged them and called and said you know when's my interview and when, when am i going to hear back and i guess they liked that attitude because they <laughs> they brought me on board they typically and now that i own it i'm not much in the business of hiring like flaky college students who have to leave during the summer and that sort of thing, so uh, I'm glad they took a chance on me. But
0: <laughs> they did take a chance on you, and then four years later, you're the owner. So how yeah. how did that how did that happen?
1: So I you know I worked there for a long time obviously I became a manager about a year year and a half after I started working there and uh, myself and one of the other managers Cody uh, who had been there a little bit longer than me uh, we were basically talking to the former owner one day um, and he started the store I mean it's, it's 13 years old he lived in Japan just like you you know yeah. Uh, gaijin, gaijin living in japan um and worked at super potato for a couple years so he, oh he wow yeah he basically started the store because he really wanted to bring that kind of atmosphere i guess to yeah the which States. which
0: one which one did he work in the tokyo one or the Osaka you know
1: one? i have no idea this would have okay. been this would have been probably 18 plus years ago so and i know most of the super potatoes were not around 18 plus years ago um, yeah. So I'm I'm not totally sure. I don't know which which one is the oldest. That's is it the probably it the, the Tokyo, Tokyo one? Okay. The Tokyo
0: one is the very famous one. That
1: that, that, that is very cool. Guess, but I'm not very, I'm not cool. totally sure. I would have to go back and ask him. But anyway, so you know he had he had other stuff going on too. That that was not his day job. He was not other than like the first year of it being open. Um, he didn't really work in the stores. He you know hired people and then had his other job. So. Um, he actually also opened another retail store, not video games, but he opened another retail store, uh, about three or four years ago. And he just got to the point where he was like, I can't do all of this. This is, this is too much stuff. So myself and Cody, the other manager offered to buy it from him. And he at first was just kind of looking to shut it down kind of quietly and say, you know, if it can't be the legacy I've built, if, he didn't want to run the risk of somebody kind of screwing it up, you know, and, and making it different or weird or because, uh, it, like you said, it's kind of got a legacy. I mean, it's been in Seattle for 13 years, so he didn't want to just hand it off to any random person who wanted to buy it. But um, because we had worked there so long and both of us very and very much into Japanese culture, um, Cody speaks yeah. Japanese and had been there multiple times um, and myself, I'm mostly just into the, the gaming side of it. But um, we, yeah, he agreed to let us purchase it and take over. And so that was... Wow. That was almost two years ago now. Wow. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, time <laughs> I didn't even, is flying. Yeah, time really does fly because I'm I'm there every day. So, so,
0: <laughs> so obviously you'd worked there for four years. So you're pretty knowledgeable about the runnings of the store anyway and stuff like that. But was it kind of a big shock when you took over did like stuff come out of the woodwork that you were like what the hell i thought i thought i knew everything about this store i thought i knew what i was doing Has it has it been a pretty easy transition into owner or has it been you You know know, really it was kind
1: of it really was kind of the opposite it got to the point where the former owner probably didn't really know much of what was going on um and the managers did because he was really not in the store very often and he was pretty busy so no, it was, it was pretty smooth in terms of taking it over. Uh, we also have an accountant that we've had for thirteen years. So he, or maybe not quite thirteen years, but it's been the same accountant with us for quite a long time. So he knows the business inside and out. So there were no like financial surprises with that. Um, nor were there, because I mean, I don't, I don't know how to do most of the financial side, especially taxes and
0: all of this stuff that doesn't involve video games.
1: Exactly. I got better things to worry about. I took a couple <laughs> accounting classes in college, and that was why I don't have my major in business. That's why it was my minor. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, yeah, it, honestly, there haven't really been that many surprises. If anything, if they've all been pleasant surprises. Uh, we've yeah. done... I would say a pretty good job of keeping the original spirit of the store and and enhancing it even I mean we ordered we commissioned and ordered all of these pink gorilla plushies so we're really trying to push the mascot um, shirts and beanies and uh, we've got some merchandising out there now as well and we remodeled the uh, international district store location and kind of had like brighter colors and uh, more more Tokyo-inspired decorations, I would say. Nice. So it's, it's very colorful, very lit up. Um, you know, I was basically just kind of scrolling through pictures of Akihabara to get uh, <laughs> inspiration for how I wanted it to look. So.
0: <laughs> Big neon signs. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Of, I mean... Aki is like split into these weird two streets now where the first street is now nothing but anime and (laughs) tax-free stores where people buy abundances of watches to get around the tax laws because tax is free in Japan if you're a foreigner. And then behind them though, behind in the side streets where all the video game stores are, is a wonderful little... Wonderful little area with lots of neon signs and stuff like that. That's very, very cool. But then tell me, so I imagine through this and and the retro gaming community in Seattle and stuff like this, you met Jason then, Metal Jesus.
1: Yeah, so actually. How did that was, come about? Yeah, he was introduced to me at, uh, I believe, the Cowlitz Games for Kids Expo, which is like the smallest retro game expo we have in washington it's not even in seattle it's like an hour or hour to two hours south of seattle Um, okay it's like a it's like a charity swap meet thing but it's been going on for many years it's run by uh, john hancock who is also a guest on metal sometimes yeah um a great little show and i was just i was introduced by the former general manager of pink gorilla who you know it's just like oh you should know who that guy is i think at the time Jason probably only had about a hundred thousand subscribers. I say only, but you know it was. Yeah, he was not, probably not still the half biggest a
0: million. No. <laughs> right, <Yeah.
1: laughs> he was still probably the biggest retro gaming YouTuber at the time, but yeah. it wasn't didn't have quite the impact yet because this would have been like I don't know twenty thirteen or something like that. So uh, yeah, I mean we met and then nothing came of it for a long time. We were just kind of like you know wave to that guy. He he's in my shop sometimes, or you know the shop that I worked at sometimes he bought things he was a nice guy but uh it didn't it wasn't until i appeared on another podcast uh, a friend of mine had a had a podcast that he no longer does anymore but i appeared on that podcast and jason actually reached out to me and said hey you're pretty well spoken would you like to go on my channel i think you've got some some gaps you know you can fill some gaps that i'm lacking right now like pokemon and you know i'm the youngest by far yes (laughs) on his channel so (laughs) there's there's that there's definitely some of the like okay we need we need some more n64 gamecube kind of that era content from someone not
0: boxed pc sierra games right exactly (laughs) jason knows a lot about
1: yeah so i mean it just it worked out well uh he tells me that he knew it was going to work out because i came prepared and that most of his guests don't come with you know a list of things they want to make sure they hit and they haven't done the research but that's that's always been me is is over prepared for for anything like that
0: excellent so how was it were you I mean you had been on a podcast but podcasting as I know is very different to recording videos and speaking on camera especially when you immediately go from I I I mean you didn't even have like a growth you went from podcasting to being like on a YouTube channel that had over a hundred thousand subscribers immediately. It's like your yeah. face is immediately in front of like <laughs> 30 to 50,000 views immediately. How yeah. was it, you know, starting out? I imagine Jason sort of coached, I wouldn't say coached you through, but helped you sort of, okay, you know, this is sort of how I usually do it. And I, you know, I learned from these mistakes did yeah. you did you make a lot of mistakes in the beginning? Did, did you feel uncomfortable, or was it something but, that you imme- immediately were just like, "Oh, I really enjoy doing this."
1: So I, I come from a family of uh, broadcasting types of of you know hosting and broadcasting types. So okay, I, I feel like I've always had at least somewhat of a of a good basis for that. Um, I acted when I was in middle school and high school and stuff. So it's I wasn't I'm not I don't get stage fright. I'm not shy. But it is still different to be told, okay, well, you know, you had this podcast in front of 500 people, now you're going to be in front of, you know, potentially 100,000 to 200,000, actually, I think that video probably has over a million views now, or over, sorry, half a million views now. Um,
2: <laughs> so it was Crazy. a little,
1: it was a little intimidating. Uh, Jason kind of over-prepared me for it. He he kind of scared me a little bit and was like, there's going to be mean people, there's going to be, all you know, I'm like, well, I'll just not read the
0: comments, <laughs> it's fine. Um,
1: but,
0: Are you sure you want to do this? Mis-
1: Yeah, but in terms of mistakes, actually, I did. We completely messed up the first take of that because, um, you know, I'm so much shorter than him. He had me on this box, which has now sort of become like a, a running gag. Yes, Um, I saw saw
0: the I saw the We Fit uh, photo the other day. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that was very funny.
1: (laughs) But he had me standing on this box, and I was not in like super comfortable shoes. I think I was wearing something with a bit of a heel, and I just wasn't. uh, I didn't feel very balanced, and I guess I didn't. That was kind of a subconscious thing because it took until after we were looking at the footage to notice that. Yeah, I I kept kind of like leaning on the table a little bit for support. Um, oh, okay. and it just it just looked awkward. Like the
0: <laughs> like you were like drunk or something. Yeah. The, like the, holding on exactly, <laughs> to the table. <laughs> exactly.
1: So the the video itself, I mean, it was okay, but it was just so awkward with me leaning that we ended up reshooting it. Yeah. Um, it didn't take very long. It was a pretty quick like, hey, uh, that was good except for we gotta redo the whole thing because you look a little drunk. So <laughs> <laughs> But I got the hang of it pretty quickly. I would say I think, I think it's still uh, a struggle sometimes. I feel like starting a video is always the most awkward part—the very beginning, especially if your face is in it. I mean, you just start with a smiling face, and there's kind
0: of like a split
1: second of silence, and then you got to start. Talking and introducing yourself, and it just the
0: hello is always the worst part. I find like the, it, it ha, is. like ha, do I overly do it or do I do I do I, do I sound ginky or whatever? It's like hello or like hello. You're like oh, how do I get the tone right? What am I going for here? Absolutely,
1: yeah. So like, I, I still feel like although I've gotten much better with my camera presence, I was certainly no pro back then, and I'm I'm only just now kind of getting there now, uh, but. That is always the weirdest part for me, and the part that I hate doing. I always redo it a hundred times when I'm doing my videos. I'm like, I, how do I introduce this? How do I start?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then you started doing your your you just. I think it was just over a year ago you started doing your own channel. Yes. What What was the idea behind doing that? Was it more just like stuff that I want to talk about now and yeah.
1: Maybe stuff that
0: wouldn't interest Jason's audience, but there is like a select few people who might, this might be interesting.
1: Yeah. it Honestly, it took me a long time to kind of find my niche. And that was why I hadn't started a YouTube channel. Um, I was, I was pretty content just being a guest for a while. And then slowly one by one, every single guest on his channel started their own YouTube channel. And I was like, okay, I should probably jump on board at some point here. Um, And I just, I didn't want to start until I felt like I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't want to just be a kind of everything gaming channel, because a lot of them are. There's some, you know, some reviews in there and some unboxings and some, and I'm like, I want to have something that is just me and and reflects my interests and personality. Um, And so I finally settled on, well, you know what, I like doing these I do, I like doing a crazy amount of research and I really like weird stuff. Um, I still think the first couple channel or couple videos on my channel are not quite me. <laughs> it took okay. until, it took until probably the third or fourth video for me to start feeling like, okay, this is, this is the kind of content I want to be making. But, uh, but I really just wanted to do a crazy amount of research and spit it all back up in like a 10 minute video you know, turn 80 hours of research into a 10 minute video that just said everything.
0: So. That, that's the thing is uh like trying to find, I can't remember what, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but there are sort of plans now with the other podcast I do with Super Bunny Hop, like to split the, he has like his main channel and there's a second channel and he kind of wants to potentially grow that into like our podcast community and then make videos off of that. And I haven't done videos in a long time. And when I look back at my old videos, I'm like my personality is pretty good and stuff, but like what is that makes me different from other people? And I watch and I'm like, it's not that different. And I don't think I would go back or do videos again unless I could find out what it is I wanted in me as to like to watch it. It takes time to be, to find that niche and to not just like what you're talking about, but also you as a person. Right. And like when I watch those videos, I'm like, it's me, but it's like, it's me trying to emulate pro Jared or me trying to emulate the other YouTubers that I like and what I've watched their videos to be like, I I don't think that really works. Like there are reasons people watch those like certain people because they are different from everyone else. And I guess it just takes time to figure that out. Do you feel like you've you've got to that oh, this is the way Kelsey does it now kind of thing? I,
1: I think I have and I still haven't made enough content for me to feel like um, you know, I could just send if someone were to ask me who are you and give me an answer in YouTube video form I don't think I have quite enough there to send but I think that the last yeah. probably three or four videos I've done would definitely be on that list um, so I feel like I've I've kind of found my footing here i really i just like weird stuff i like learning things <laughs> that are not common knowledge um especially with video games and that all really started when i started working at pink gorilla and i started learning about um things like actually one of the biggest things i attribute it to and this is so random but there's a super nintendo game called Packy and marlon um it's just like a uh, captain Novalin if you've heard of that one but they're they're both games based on, um, diabetes. They're, like, they're, like, these platformers that teach you about diabetes, and when I saw that for the first time, I just thought it was the most hilarious thing. I'm, like, what? A Super Nintendo game about diabetes? Who bought this? And, and that was kind of, like, the first little baby step into, like, there's a whole weird world of, odd ideas that actually made it to market out here so now i have and i've got like a backlog of videos i want to make because i keep picking things up like the uh wonder swan handy sonar a a legit sonar legitimate fishing sonar for the wonder swan
0: wow
1: actually drop it into the water so there's i mean there's all these kind of crazy weird things um and they just they get me so excited because I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, why? Why was this made? And why then, does
0: this exist? <laughs>
1: yeah, and then it becomes less of a, like, joking question, more of a, like, no, seriously, why did this exist? Let's let's figure this
0: out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny because having been in Japan for three years now, stuff like that back before I moved here would have been like, that is the most random, fucking weirdest thing. And now... Because I just see so much, like, why does that exist? Oh, they do, they use it once a year, and that, and it's it's used for this specific thing, and now that's totally normal to me. Kind of like quality of life peripherals and other additional stuff have become like weirdly accepting to me now when I see stuff like that, and I'm like, ah kind of i kind of get what they were going for there but it's still very weird and you're right though nobody talks about them and i think it is super interesting that you do do that and especially considering like my old like western mindset where i'd be like what the fuck is that (laughs) why did someone make that it's super interesting (laughs) to talk about things like that but speaking of retro games we have your list of eight games here and if we are entirely honest with ourselves here Kelsey. None of them are retro, really. <laughs> no, it's
1: it's true. and It's very are,
0: modern heavy.
1: And there are so many games. This was, oh, we kind of talked about this before we started the podcast, but this is one yeah. of those things where I had to pick practicality over nostalgia for most things. Yes. Are there games that if I were to list kind of my top favorite games of all time, you know, a top 20 or something like that, there are games that would definitely appear higher on this list than some of the ones that I'm bringing with, a de- bringing with me to a deserted island.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: but, but there's, you know, some of them just aren't that replayable or they're just short. They're just that the very like, short this, games.
0: <laughs> this is not our top eight games of all time. This is the final games. These are the games we would take with us to a deserted place where we can play them for the rest of the time, you know, we have on the island, no matter how long that'll be. So that is a sort of mindset that doesn't really help when it comes to nostalgia. Sometimes you want a balance where, you know, you're going to be trapped on a deserted island. You want the memories of the good times, the past. To be with you and some games might invoke that. But other times you just want to, you know, play and enjoy a game that you don't completely 100% know it backwards and forwards and can speed run it because it's so short and stuff like that. So it is definitely a balance and you have gone for a balance here today with some wonderful games that I'm very excited to talk about. Especially this first one because I think you're also the first, technically you are the second person to choose this game. The, the first game on your list um, because someone chose this game last year in a hit and hope that it would turn out to be a good game. <laughs> and I think he was right. John Ricciardi from 8-4 did a good job in choosing this game, hoping that it would turn out well. And I think we can all safely say it did. So why don't we jump into Kelsey's eight games and let's talk about the first game on our list. So let's listen to some music and let's, of course, dive straight into Kelsey's. Final games. off Kelsey's final games then. The first game on her list. Technically, since its release in January of this year, on January 26th, actually came out the same day as Dragon Ball Fighters, which was a a great weekend for video gamers everywhere. Um, She is technically the first person to choose this game after its release, but as I mentioned earlier, the second in total, with uh, John from last year choosing in the hope that it would be great. And I mean, now we all know it's sold, what, six million copies, I think, now? Uh, probably well over seven at this point. The team at Capcom in Osaka have knocked it out of the park. Directed by Yuya Tokuda, it's just, it's become the biggest selling Capcom game of all time, far surpassing, you know, massive names like Street Fighter, Mega Man some of Capcom's, like, greatest series that were uh, so famous. This small, niche, little series that was made by, uh, what's his name? Oh, I forget his name. uh, Sujimoto-san. Like, just his little baby has grown into this huge, massive juggernaut of a series. And with its latest incarnation, Monster Hunter World, Monster Hunter is finally taking over the West. And what an amazing game this game is. So, Kelsey... Please tell me why the first game on your list is Monster Hunter World.
1: So, I have not always been into Monster Hunter World, but I did beat most of the West to being into it. <laughs> uh, I've been playing since, well, I tried to pick up a couple of the PSP ones uh, yes. when I was younger and found them clunky and diff- Like, if you don't have someone sitting over your shoulder <laughs> showing you the way... It's just really—it's a really difficult game to get into, or it has it been is. historically.
0: Yeah, um, and if you don't have an ambidextrous like left hand where you can claw grip your PSP to control the camera as well, oh yeah, it's not—it's not easy. It's, not, <laughs> it's it's not easy.
1: So I've been playing seriously just since For uh, You, which was on the 3DS. Yes, and came out the
0: same day as the new 3DS. And That yeah. kind of kick-started the franchise being a, a bit bigger in the West.
1: Yeah, and it was just is so good. I mean, this is a game that, in the beginning, is so difficult. Or, you know, up until Monster Hunter World was just a really unapproachable game. Like, there's just so many things to consider, so much to remember. And the game itself doesn't give you a ton of... Uh, it doesn't really, like, lead you. It just kind of gives you some text that's like, oh, yeah, and don't forget there's going to be lava, so you're going to need a cool drink. And you're like, what's a cool drink? What is, you know, no one tells you, <laughs> hey, you got to eat beforehand, or you're going to be going in with half the stamina, or, or you need paintballs, or all of these crazy things that, um... honestly, I mean, had I not had some friends who were just so dead set on getting me into this series, I would have never been into it, but it became probably—I mean—one of just my all-time favorite series. I put hundreds and hundreds of hours into *For You* as well as *Generations*, um, and obviously going to be putting hundreds and hundreds of hours into *Monster Hunter World*. And they have with this, with this thing. And I'm—I'm I'm a handheld person. I would much prefer it personally to be on a handheld because the best thing about this game is playing with friends. Yeah. And what better way to do that than to meet up, you know, for some beers and playing Monster Hunter together. That's what I was doing for a long time. Um, but with this game, they have removed so many of the tedious barriers and, and given you so many more tools at your disposal to, to learn how to play this game. Uh, that it's really, I mean, it's really just kind of like the perfect, the perfect version of Monster Hunter.
0: Oh, it 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 really is, and I can't there was always something magical about Monster Hunter in the sense that, as from a game design perspective, like just the detail and the immense detail that goes into that game in terms of like monster animations and how they make such a small game feel epic, even on a handheld, the fights you have, the monsters are still huge and intimidating and feel like impossible to overcome and your imagination was always inspired by even the handheld games you were like oh my god this is incredible but the one thing i was worried about with it moving to world beyond ps4 that it would lose like my like sense of epic it, it, it would just the 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 graphics would be you know just be oh it, it just looks like a giant boss fight now it, it, it kind of lost the spirit of monster hunter like they had to do certain stuff with the handheld to make it to fool you into thinking it was more epic than it was because it was on a handheld and my fears were completely allayed with monster hunter world because my god some of the fights in Monster Hunter World against monsters such as, like, Nier Gigante and stuff like that is just incredible. And they retain the the epicness of the series even through Monster Hunter World. Ah, uh, oh, so good.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the worlds they've built inside of it, these kind of, like, in the environments in which you find the monsters are so, so good. I just... I. Didn't expect it to feel nearly this alive because it never has so it was it was never really even on my wish list I was never like oh, I really wish that you know, they would make these uh, I was never like hey don't split them up into zones Don't split these areas up into like with loading screens in between them. I that was all I knew I just knew it as well we know the monster's going to zone 9 or whatever, and you know I can see that clearly on the map, and, and now they have totally opened it up. Uh, there'll be a monster all the way across the map that can just... I mean, again, there's no loading. There's no safe zone in this. You can't just yeah. run to the other area to and escape just hide the away. <laughs> It's It's there. It's still going to be following you. So uh, that was part of what made it so incredible for me. Uh, not to mention the fact that they're just... Gorgeous, gorgeous environments, but being able to kind of use so many things at your disposal, but also never be truly safe, <laughs> is uh, a <laughs> is really cool.
0: So how did you? I mean, back in the day, I'm I'm imagining when you were getting to grips with Monster Hunter for you and your friends were getting you into it. Did you watch like Adam, like Gaijin Hunter's videos and? get into the series through like YouTube videos and stuff like that. Like many of us did too. You
1: know, it's funny. Cause I actually, I recommend every single person go watch yes. Adam's videos.
0: Yeah, Go watch uh, Adam's but, videos.
1: But I didn't know about him until after I had already kind of started playing because my, my friends were there. I mean, every time I turned on the game, it was in the presence of somebody who had already been playing monster hunter for a while. Um, so that is I very never... lucky.
0: That is very yeah, lucky. Yeah, I know. I...
1: Well, and it's the only reason I was able to get into it in the first place, yeah. honestly. So I had to, uh, you know, I would say that I didn't get good at it for quite a while. Um, probably the first 60 hours of For You were mostly me just kind of getting by. <laughs> you know, I would, <laughs> would play a lot online with my friends because I... Wasn't just walking behind them, player. watching
0: them all fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, and
0: just getting one stabbing—you know,
1: <laughs> not not quite that bad. But there was definitely, I was definitely a lot more skittish because it's it's a nerve wracking game. I mean, you only get yes. you only get two deaths before you know the third one, you're out, right? So it's like I don't want to be that guy. So after we had <laughs> after two people would die, or cart, um, you would. Just be like, all right, I'm gonna back off because I don't trust myself here. But uh, yeah, I started I started watching the Gaijin Hunter videos kind of after that, which helped me hone my skills a little bit more. Um, it's been super valuable for this for this newest game for Monster Hunter World, um, specifically because they well they do a really good job of teaching you the basics in this game. Um, I mean, I play with a Charge Blade normally, which has been in all of the monster hunter games i've played so i was already familiar with it but they had some changes in there that were not made clear so i had to watch i watched his videos and was like oh well i can do this cool like slide thing i can you know i can put a charge in my sword now as opposed to just the shield so these were all like kind of new things that i don't feel like even in training mode in the game it really explained well um so i'm i am immeasurably thankful for Gaijin Hunter's channel. It's, uh, it's a lot of help.
0: Adam, and what, like, I've played with Adam a few times. Uh, not on the world, but back, I think it was Generations, after we'd hung out a few times. But watching him, like, play is just, like, another thing. He just, he's just like a machine, like a robot. He just knows what he's doing. And you're just like, oh, okay, I'll just... I'll just watch the man do, do his thing and I'll just sit back and reap the rewards of it later. Um, but it's very helpful. And this is the thing like with world and the audience that it's opened up to now, there is, it's incredible to think about where monster Hunter was to the fact that it's overtaken stuff like street fighter, street fighter is like a cultural, like icon. It, I mean, yesterday Nicki Minaj released a song called Chun Li. The, the The idea that in like twenty years' time, like a a famous hip hop artist would release like a, a song about Nerga is <laughs> ridiculous. But this is what's happened. Like Monster Hunter's, you know, it sold like seven million copies, which is incredible for this weirdly obscure rpg let alone the fact that it's like a hundred hour rpg in general um but the idea that this really obscure hard to get into series is now selling truckloads of copies is a weirdly beautiful success story i want to say oh I,
1: yeah it's been really really kind of fun as a quote-unquote veteran i i don't want to call myself too much of a Monster Hunter veteran. Just, <laughs> you know, I, I have friends yeah. who have been playing since the whole year. Yeah, it's PS a little dangerous. Yeah. So, <laughs> but as, you know, as someone who's already been into it for a little while, um, it's been amazing watching people who I thought would never be into a game like this get so excited. I mean, I what cemented it for me was I was on the bus and I saw some people who just kind of looked like, like, frat dudes like like total bros backwards hats and everything and they were like oh man you fight the Nergigante yet i'm like this is awesome awesome (laughs) so
0: oh so good (laughs) we've infiltrated fan
1: yeah i'm such an enormous fan of this series and i have been since i started playing it and it's just so cool and so validating to see it start to get this recognition because i mean literally as much as i would love for it to be on handheld um the handheld thing was what was kind of holding it back that's a japan thing i mean yes don't very much by and large like mainstream gamers here don't really do hardcore games on handhelds they just don't um so i'm It's an amazing game. I'm super happy about it. And if I was stranded on a deserted island, I would not care that it's on a home console. That wouldn't bother me at all, because where am I going to go?
0: Yeah. And also, (laughs) you know, this is the thing about choosing a game for a deserted island. You, at some points, although you can't... The rules stipulate you can't communicate through voice or through chat, but Monster has a very eclectic set of, you know, gestures and icons. So... The multiplayer is there. And a game like Monstanta, you're never going to get bored because it's almost infinitely replayable. And for as long yeah. as it's a success as well, especially with Monster Hunter World, Capcom are going to continually keep releasing DLC for it. Um, so I, I think... I think this is a pretty damn good choice to kick off this list.
1: (laughs) I could probably just play this one for the rest of my life. Just eight (laughs) copies of Monster
0: Hunter World. (laughs) (laughs) Just, we'll we'll take eight copies. And eventually when, like, a Switch, like a Monster Hunter World redo is, like, released for the Switch, we'll send you that one as well. So you can have seven copies of Monster Hunter World now. Just
1: just make all eight copies eight games the next eight Monster Hunters that come
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be a be- you. You're going into John Ricciardi territory here like be- <laughs> just betting on a game being good before it comes out. But uh, you know Monster Hunter World has proved that. What a way to kick off this list. But I think it is about time we sort of dive into the next list and also we need to talk about the, the deserted island in which we are going to send you. So why don't we listen to some music from this next wonderful game. Another wonderful game I have a, a little interesting story about Frat Bros And uh, buses. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So let's listen to some lovely music. This series always has great music. And let's, of course, dive straight into it. have to talk about the deserted place in which we're going to send Kelsey, or where Kelsey wants to go. And Kelsey, the rules in terms of the deserted place is that you get to choose where you're going to be deserted. Obviously, there's not going to be anyone there. Um, It is by and large deserted. But the, the, the caveat is that it has to be a place from video games. It has to be a world or area or place from a video game. And there won't be any NPCs. There won't be any people. But if you choose like a dangerous place like a place on Monster Hunter, the wildlife could be dangerous. You know, people get stranded on deserted islands in movies, but there's still like animals and stuff there. So with video games, we have to be a little careful because wildlife in video games can be crazy dangerous. So you are allowed the choice. And you can have a quick think... Whether it'll be dangerous or not. And then yeah. we can get ready to send you on your way there.
1: <laughs> so, my first thought before I heard about the uh, wildlife still being there um, was actually the Coral Highlands from Monster Hunter World because it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous Beautiful,
0: yeah. But
1: uh I really do not want to have to deal with uh, like Yana or Kushala or anything. You know, I'm not gonna.
0: <laughs> what is it? The I'm fluffy not there bat. To What's fight... the fluffy bat called? The Pomu. Pom- yeah. Pom- yeah, yeah. That, I always that call him Troy was...
1: Palomalu, but that's uh... a. <laughs> oh, you're you're British. You probably don't even know that one. That's a, a football player, American football know. player here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Your handballs. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> hand egg. But we, uh, yeah, so because of the threat of giant monsters, um, happy to fight them virtually, not so happy to fight them in real life. Um, I think my answer, and this maybe is kind of boring, but. Um, in the first Animal Crossing on the GameCube there, well, I guess in most of the Animal Crossings there is this island mechanic, but you can sail off to an island from your town. Uh, it's got palm trees and it's surrounded by water and you can fish and pick fruit and I'm very much a beach person, so yeah. I think I just i just want to be there. I just want to chill out. There's not really any wildlife there unless you count the, uh, the, I
0: know you said the
1: animal villagers would not be there, so... <laughs>
0: Well maybe some we, bugs. Maybe well, yeah, that's true. And maybe you could you could sell them technically, because I guess they do they count as NPCs, but they're animals? I don't know. I know, I know how, how it works. Is a tough one. This is this is a loophole I've uh, not considered. <laughs> I think I've sent people yeah. here before and I've never even thought about it. Oh, after, have well to... if we
1: if we count them as people, I'm still okay with that. <laughs> I have to be deserted on a beautiful island where the only threat is a bug. <laughs> i'm
0: okay with that that's okay yeah definitely well we'll send you there we'll send you to a beautiful beautiful animal crossing-esque island and speaking of animal crossing and i love talking about this game from a personal standpoint these days um due to living in japan and the people i've got to meet through being here and one of them being uh i uh And becoming friends with her, and she is the director of this next game. She is such a delightful person, and I love getting to talk about this game. And hearing people talk about her game makes me smile. So we're going to jump into the next game, and it is a beautiful, beautiful game. It was released uh, back in 2012 here in Japan. I can't believe it's six years old now. It's crazy. crazy (laughs) I know, to think it's uh, six years old. Um, We had the sort of update back in 2016 with the Amiibo stuff, giving it some new life. It's probably the, the most well-known in the series, even more so than the original uh, GameCube game, which in Japan was an N64 game. Uh, it's become sort of the, the go-to whenever trying to introduce someone to the Animal Crossing series. It released for the Nintendo 3DS and was developed by Nintendo EAD, directed by Aya Kuyo Goku, and produced by Katsuya Iguchi. It is the wonderful life simulation game, Animal Crossing New Leaf. Kelsey, why are you taking Animal Crossing New Leaf with you?
1: Well, I have been into Animal Crossing uh, since essentially day one in the U.S., obviously. Did not have a Japanese Nintendo 64, nor do I speak enough Japanese to play that game. Um, But I... I've been in love with this series for forever. Uh, ever since I saw the an ad for the game with just all these cute animals popping out of a house, I was like, "What is this? This looks awesome!" I was big into <laughs> Harvest Moon at the time, and the guy at GameStop told me it was going to be like Harvest Moon but with animals. I'm like, "This is great! It's perfect. Sign me up!" So, I have, I've had this kind of like obsession with it forever. I was a moderator of an Animal Crossing forum when I was uh, about 12 or 13 years old. Uh, So (laughs) I've been very much, like, entrenched in the community for a long time. And every Animal Crossing gets better. I'll say that uh, city folk probably didn't really improve much over Wild World, but but every time... I forget about Wild
0: World anyway. (laughs) So
1: Wild World was... That, to me, is, like the best uh, it's not peak animal crossing new leaf is peak animal crossing the wild <laughs> world was when i felt like animal crossing had landed like there were so many things that they wanted to do with the nintendo 64 version with the gamecube version that just simply weren't possible with the with the technology available at the time i mean so many like it was a game entirely centered around the concept of communication and yet you could not communicate with people online because it was you know it was the gamecube and um and for the n64 one you know it was originally being developed for the 64 dd so that would have had some kind of online communication features but yeah but the first time i felt like you know they kept saying the word communication over and over again and the first time i actually felt like that was happening was wild world because you got to play online with people Um, and kind of, kind of just share things with each other without you having to know them in real life and send them home with your precious memory card. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but New Leaf added so many things that I felt like were just kind of natural progressions. Things like being able to, uh, customize your own furniture. I was always trying to build something. I, I never had just like a house in the game. I always wanted it to be kind of an extension of, uh, the community there. So I would build like a coffee shop or um, a restaurant or something like that in my, my the main floor of my house as opposed yeah. to it being the standard kind of bedroom thing. And with the earlier games, you had to get really creative because there just wasn't a lot of furniture to make that possible. So when they started allowing this really heavy customization, I could do things like make sign boards with my own pattern on them and hang you know, hang my patterns on the wall and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, um, I was doing something. Not so as I
1: wallpaper, think, but, you know, as I, like actual photo type things. Yeah. It made a big difference.
0: I, I remember because I think I've spoken about this on the show before, but back, so it came out when I was working at Rockstar. And one thing that I ended up doing was I was pretty good at doing like pixel art back then. So the like the canvas they gave you, you could make some pretty decent pixel art in that like sort of editor thing. So oh, yeah. people people at work would ask me to design t shirts for their Animal Crossing characters <laughs> and then I would send it to them through their like their gifting system, like their letters. And I ended up like running this little pixel art t shirt business at work for maybe like three months or so where people would give me like five pounds and be like, Yeah, can you can you just like make me like a <laughs> Like a Super Monkey Island T-shirt or something. I'm like, okay, and then I go home and I would spend like fucking ten like ten minutes making this like pixel art thing. It was it was a lot of fun, but yeah, you it was pretty extensive. Like you could make like wallpapers, like covers, and clothes, and everything, couldn't you?
1: Yeah, and and change the colors of things. And I mean, this like to me that was the biggest uh, revolution. Like that was the new revolutionary thing uh, for this game because. I always, I mean, of course there's the fishing and the talking to the animals and all of those other things, but part of what I really liked was being able to design something that was totally unique and not just here's some red furniture, here's some blue furniture, and you can have this bed or that bed, but trying to kind of create like an extension of the environment there. So like I said, I would make like a coffee shop or, or something along those lines. Um, so being able to expand on that and make it fit a lot nicer into the world, but also having to earn it. Because, I mean, there's plenty of, like, just, you know, why not just play with a dollhouse at that point if you just want to decorate. But it's not, it's not about decorating, it's about, uh, building something that adds to, uh, adds to the community part. You know, when I have people over in my town, they're like, whoa, this is a really cool thing you've built here and they know that i've earned it (laughs) they know that i didn't just spend 10 minutes kind of cobbling it together i had to actually design some of this furniture or maybe it cost a ton of money
0: yeah Uh, it was hard work you could see your hard work in front of your face
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it sounds like a weird thing to say about a game as, as simple and relaxing as animal crossing but uh you know it's a game that i just I never really get bored with it. There's always something to do. There's always a holiday going on. There's always, you know, there's always something to strive for in it, whether it's completing the museum or getting all of the, you know, special items from Gulliver or something like that. I mean, there's just always another objective on the horizon. And I know that's kind of, you know, that's how they get you. That's that's kind of on purpose. They're like, yeah. well, we never want to give them complete satisfaction so that they have to keep playing but it works <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the thing is like you know speaking about endless replayability in, in terms of like what you actually can do in animal crossing it's fairly limited you, you know you walk around you interact with some npcs you you stick a shovel in the ground you shake a tree you throw a fish in, but that's it but in terms of like just the way things unfold over time like as you said the sort of bu- building up of your own personalized space and getting something because you had to spend a lot of bells on it or like designing something that you needed to do it it just keeps going on forever and ever and it's it is one of those ah deserted island this is the the perfect game
1: yeah and one of the one of the things that I really like about and they actually introduced this in uh Wild World, but I've seen it used way more in New Leaf is you can put patterns on the ground too. So yes. uh so people make these really elaborate um Like they'll make an entire new skin for the ground, basically. I mean, I just made designed these pretty looking pathways and lined them with flowers, and I'm you know always trying to breed the hybrid flowers, the special ones, so everyone go you know walks in and is like, "Oh, pink tulips! Wow, you've really worked hard (laughs) on." Um, But I've seen people cover the entire town in like patterns that look like water. So the whole. Town looks like it's, you know, floating on the water or um, or on the opposite end, like a lava town, you know, a town that's like everything is covered in these kind of rocky, lava yeah. patterns. So um, the creativity part is what really makes me love this game. Um, and I think that's a big part of why the online aspect is so important is so people can kind of share their creations with the yeah, world. Yeah, show their inventiveness. Yeah. And that was why I started joining those online, um, those like Animal Crossing forums and communities online was I really just wanted to kind of show off what I've done and get some inspiration. And uh, and I think that's that's most of what the community is really about.
0: Uh, it's it's I'm, I am I kind of miss it. Like I'm I've remi- I'm sort of sat here reminiscing about the uh, it's weird because like, it wasn't technically online like my experiences through the sort of 3DS and the animal crossing community then, but just the sort of the social aspect of going into work and talking about (laughs) <laughs> like the t-shirts i would made in animal crossing and like sharing them with like 50 <laughs> people at work who were also playing it it was just so much fun and we'd you know we'd go to the pub and we'd be all sat there playing animal crossing and someone would be like look at this cool new t-shirt i just bought and you're like oh my god where do i get it and <laughs> you all like run to the clothing store on that certain day and stuff like it was a lot of fun and there is there's, there's nothing really like animal crossing in existence and it is something very special and um talking of, you know, sort of niche series that have gone on to be these weirdly spectacular phenomenons, almost a very similar like your frat bro story about Monster Hunter. It's not I don't New Leaf, but um it's the mobile game, the one that came out last yeah. year.
1: I'm still playing that.
0: <laughs> and uh I was I was flying back to the UK and I was on the bus from where I live in Japan in, in Okayama to uh, Osaka Airport. And I was on the bus, and it was like four a.m. in the morning, and this huge like team of—I uh, think they must have been, maybe, probably soccer players. Like they were like university Japanese soccer players, rowdy bunch of guys got on this bus, whole team of them. And like I was like, no, oh, it's 4 a.m. I don't want to deal with these guys, like, all excited about whatever trip they're going on. And then they all just like whip out their phones. I'm like, okay. And then they they just they're not talking or anything. And then immediately, like, they all start like looking at one person's phone and they're like, Oh like, none there, none nani. Like and they're all like having a go at him, and he's like, Yes, go in there, And it's like I looked, and it was Animal Crossing. It was the mobile version. <laughs> and he must have, like, got a T-shirt or something that everyone wanted, or he bought something. And then they're all, like, all of them are, like... I, w- I was mystified as to why, like, all of them. Like, there was, like, 15 of them, and they were all playing Animal Crossing <laughs> on a phone. And I I just... I In Japan, like, phones have sounds when you take pictures on the cameras. So, like, on your phone, like, if you take a picture, it goes... K-choo! Like, it's like a legal law here that phones have to have that sound, right? But if you do it through Facebook, you through Facebook Messenger, you can, like, sneakily <laughs> make no sound. So I was, like, snapping photos of these guys, like playing Animal Crossing, being like a real creep, like, let me take a picture of you while you're playing Animal Crossing. And it was just this whole bunch of guys, and I immediately messaged Aya, being like, hey, Aya, look, 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 there's like 15 guys playing Animal Crossing <laughs> on this bus to Osaka, and they're all like soccer players. I was like blown away, just like, such a weird audience that Animal Crossing has reached now, and just to think like, yeah. where these weird Japanese series, how they started to where they are now is incredible. Both Monster Hunter and Animal Crossing, such great success stories.
1: It's crazy to think that a game like Animal Crossing has such wide appeal because, I mean, if you look at the cover and how just colorful and cutesy it is, I mean, I, exactly. feel, like, <laughs> I feel like there would just be such a wall of like, well, I I don't want to look like I don't want to look like a sissy so even if this game looks cool to me I'm not gonna get it but (laughs) but I just I know so many men into the game and it makes me so happy because it's one of those things where when you say it out loud it's this is kind of like the the cliche thing to say about Animal Crossing is like you can't explain why it's fun because when you start to explain what it literally is you're just talking about doing chores basically
0: (laughs) (laughs) in a very cutesy world you're just like so what what is it you enjoy about it i I don't know like collecting apples It (laughs) just
1: i don't i couldn't even really tell you why i like this game so much more than other games that have you know impressive battle systems and and that sort of thing but i just i just do it's just an awesome way to to spend your time i mean video games don't always have to be an epic adventure sometimes it's just
0: exactly
1: this is just something i want to be doing right now
0: something relaxing too well speaking of nintendo and speaking of relaxy kind of cutesy worlds um and also final games first we had monster hunter world you know the first where we've got to truly speak about it and um it's funny, you know, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. We were sort of referencing something I said a couple of months ago, which is I wonder how long it would be before we had this game on the show. Breath of the Wild appeared very quickly after it was released. I mean, that pretty much goes without saying, considering the immense praise and how great that game was. But I did wonder how long it would take. The next game that Kelsey has chosen to appear. And today is that day. Today we finally get to talk about it, and I'm very excited because I really do love this game. So let's listen to some wonderful music. Yes, we get to listen to that beautiful festival music from New Donk City. And let's let's just dive straight into it.
2: Here we go, off the rails Did you know it's time to raise our sails It's freedom like you never knew I bags for a pass Say the word, I'll be there in a flash You could say my hat is off to you Oh, we can zoom all the way to the moon From this great wide wacky world Jump with me, grab coins with me, oh yeah! Jump up in the air, jump up, don't be scared, jump up and your cares will slow away, and if the dark clouds start to swirl, don't
0: So here it is. Yes, finally. So many people are laughing now because the amount of times I speak about Mario on Final Games is ridiculous. I'm like a broken record sometimes when it (laughs) comes to Super Mario games and Nintendo, of course. But come on, what do you sign up for? So (laughs) the next game on Kelsey's list, for the first time we get to talk about it, is a game developed by Nintendo EPD. It was directed by Kenta Motokura and produced by the wonderful and lovely Yoshiaki Koizumi, who has become the face of the Nintendo Switch, sort of taking over the mantle from Miyamoto and Iwata-san, and now being that... that He's a very handsome chap for his age, to be fair. I think he's in his <laughs> in his mid-50s, and he's a, he's got that wonderful, glorious long hair going on. He's got a nice, strong chin. He's a very handsome man. Um, but he has become this face, and he was the producer of this game... Uh, long before, uh, you know, becoming the face of the Nintendo Switch, it's all sort of folded in. And <coughs> this game, speaking of Japanese games selling well, I mean, we're on a roll here. Even with the Switch only being out a year, this game has sold over 9 million copies on a system that only came out a year ago, which is Mental. It's a game that released in October of 2017. It... W- Helped me through a very difficult time in my life last year. It is a wonderful platform game and the next evolution in 3D Marios. It is, of course, Super Mario Odyssey. Kelsey, why is the third game you're taking with you Super Mario Odyssey?
1: Well, gosh, there are so many good Mario games, obviously. I mean, there's a reason it's one of the most (laughs) beloved series of all time. Um, And it would be easy to just kind of shove a bunch of Mario games up here uh, on this list, but Mario Odyssey was, uh, it's something new. I mean, I've played Super Mario 64, and of course it's a great game, and I've uh, never beat Mario Sunshine, but I'm, you know, I've, I've played it, and there are 3D Marios, I'm, I'm aware, but it's just...
0: <laughs> there <laughs> is, like, is still... a whole line of Mario games. <laughs> yeah,
1: but, but this is still... I mean, this was just still so new, because while there are plenty of kind of classic platforming elements to this, um, specifically kind of when you go down, like, a warp pipe or something into a uh, one of the little kind of mini areas where you win a moon at the end, um, there's... Also, just all of this exploring to be done, and that's just so foreign to me in a Mario game. But it ended up working really well. And I played this game uh, before it came out at E3, which was like the highlight of my E3, probably the highlight of my whole summer, was being able to play a little bit of New Donk City before, <laughs> before the game came out. Because I had, so I had like a thirty-minute window. They're like, okay, you're gonna get, you're gonna get thirty minutes to to play this, and we've got two levels, so, you know, you might want to split your time. So I started yeah. with New Donk City because it looked the most interesting to me, and I swear, like, 90 seconds later, they're like, you got five minutes left. I'm like, what? No! No! <laughs> I, I swear, <laughs> I just started! But the time just flies in this game, because there's so much to do and so much to see. It controls beautifully... Uh, when they told me, when they handed me the Joy-Cons and they're like, oh, flick the controller to, you know, to throw the hat. I'm like, that's stupid. I don't want to use motion controls, but it actually works really well. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I beat this game so quickly. um, But beating the game is meaningless because there's just an enormous amount of stuff to do and see and, and secrets to unlock and little Easter eggs, especially with uh, regards to Mario's different outfits that you can purchase. I mean, it's just, it's weird and it's slightly uncomfortable in some places. Like, you know, I really didn't think I would ever want to see a giant T-Rex in a Mario game.
0: But yeah, I know. But it all worked okay. It works. It's (laughs) so weird. Like the T-Rex, when I saw the T-Rex, I was like, wow, what? Yeah. Uh, And I'm thinking in the back of my head. Are, are you okay with this, Liam? Like, yeah. Are, are, you,
1: are, <laughs> are we going to give okay? them a pass on this?
0: Are we? sure? Yeah. Are, are we gonna? Are we gonna <laughs> be our normal selves, which is open minded and and okay? But in the back of my mind, like the Mario fan in me, this is like screaming, like, are you okay with this? Like a fucking Jurassic Park T Rex in your Mario game? <laughs> like, is this okay? And oh my God, did it work out? It worked out very well. So. As you said, there's a lot to do in Mario Odyssey. Even after you finish the game, you know, there's, what, 999 balloons or or (laughs) moons that you can get to fill the balloon. And there is so much to do. But tell me a little bit about... One thing that interests me about Mario Odyssey is each world definitely takes aspects of old Mario games and sort of builds on them around, like, a special aesthetic. But everyone sort of has a favorite. Which is your favorite world? What Which of the worlds do you like?
1: Oh, it's, it's so cliche, but I have to go with New Donk City. I'm sure that's, like, everybody's answer. But it was, to me, the most exciting one to explore. Because all of the other ones, uh, while they were gorgeous and really fun, uh, they still felt relatively familiar. Um, they felt like something that could be in a Mario game. And so there wasn't any real there weren't any, like, enormous surprises with them to me. Uh, obviously, the hat mechanic and, you know, possessing other people, <laughs> other enemies' bodies is is a brand new thing, but uh, in general, I mean, I expected to see an ice level and I expected to see a beach level and that sort of thing. So Yeah. But what, but what I would have never expected from a Mario game is a living, breathing big city, you know? <laughs> and... And it was a lot of fun just kind of trying to, especially in that area, I found myself being like, how do I get on top of that building? Oh, well, wait, how do I get on top of that building? And that was what made it so exciting for me. Because in a lot of the other areas, I mean, yes, there are plateaus and stuff to get on top of, but it it felt really like you could clearly see different places to explore in New Donk City. You were like, I, right now, I don't see a way to get up on top of this building. And yeah. and it's a building. It's a very, like, obvious, you know, there's a sign on the side. I I can remember this. It's not just, like, a generic cliffside. How do I get on top of this building? Um, And it was, yeah, I mean, I I've, I've probably spent more time in New Donk City than in any of the other worlds, just because I wanted to see every every inch of it.
0: Oh, it's... I like New Dong City a lot. I really do. But every time I think about it, just the festival, like when you... I mean, most people have seen it by now, so it's not too big a spoiler. Yeah. But when you complete that area, when, well, when you do like, what is the story quest in that area, I guess you can say, um, that festival made me cry.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, I was just about to say that. I, it brought tears to my eyes. I was so... It was so perfect it, it's so rare that I mean, normally when I cry because of a video game, it's because something's like actually super emotional. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I was just crying because it was so perfect. Like, <laughs> nothing can ever, never, nothing can ever be this pure of a of a wrapping up of Mario. If you had to just take all of the Mario in the world and smush it down into one thing, this is just so perfect. It's all here.
0: Oh, it's yeah. yeah. It is such, it's, it's so weird, like, after all of the years of Mario being around us and, you know, being a part of our lives, it's weird to see, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was just so nice to see human models, like human being, like models in a game, clapping Mario as he like walks <laughs> through, like giving him the hero's sort of like, ovation that he deserved. Like, he's been around and he's helped so many people through their lives and, like, brought joy to so many people. Just seeing all these, like, human characters, like, real representations of human video game players, like, clapping Mario and his tiny little body and he's just looking up at everyone, just, like, smiling and you're like, oh, Mario, I love you so much. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) It was so, it was so nice, but it was good. So tell me, have you got all 999 uh, I keep saying one of them saying balloons, but it's the the it's okay. odyssey I'm thinking <laughs> of. I'm like, you need balloons for the balloon No moons, you need moons for the big balloon that is the odyssey. Have you got all 999? what what oh, is the count you're in no
1: at? way I don't uh I don't remember how many moons I have, but it's I mean I'm still missing probably well over well over a hundred, possibly even more. I mean there's just so many in the game and they're, you know, there are some times legitimately where I'm like, that one seems like a huge pain in the ass. I'm going like to not do
0: that right now. It so. reminds me of Pro D's <laughs> video. I don't know if you've seen his Pro ZD's Super Mario Odyssey video, like his short 30-second clip. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're referring to. The one no, that's I mean, like
0: on the moon. <laughs> just... I,
1: like, <laughs> I like the... Uh, I obviously like the rewarding moons more than I like just finding one randomly, but uh, but I think yes! that for anyone who who was complaining about the fact that there are some moons right out in the open. I mean, it's a Mario game; you gotta let the children enjoy it too. I, come I've
0: on. had for <laughs> anyone who listens to both Final Games and the Dad and Sons podcast, the other podcast I do. The argument I had a couple of weeks ago with my two other co-hosts about this very issue and how they they didn't like that there were just moon um, moons scattered everywhere. They didn't like it. Felt like the challenge was taken away. How is the challenge taken away? the The, the challenge is still there. The moon, moons that are obscured are still obscured. They're not any easier to get because there are other moons lying around yeah. all over the place. You just have to have that for the the core demographic of the children that play this game. And that I don't think they're too much of a problem. So it is nice to hear someone else who can defend my opinion about this. <laughs> about no, this totally version. with you. Yeah. Totally I think it's a Nintendo game. Like, every, no matter how much we grow older and we, you know, we hold on to the Nintendo memories had when we were kids, Nintendo games, are, they're like this. This is how they are. They... Have the challenge, but they have to cater to certain specific audiences as well. They, they're they always going to be a family-friendly company by nature. So there are going to be aspects of the games, like with Mario Odyssey, where you need these very easy-to-get moons. And, you know, if you're someone who doesn't have much time to play video games, you bust out the Switch for, like, 20 minutes, if you get 10 moons compared to just the one, you're going to feel like you accomplished something. So, you know, you to take you got to take both minds into... Uh, Into account, but we're going to change gears now. We're going to put we're going to put the Nintendo bit aside for just now. We'll we'll return to it, Uh, and we're going to talk about something completely different to anything we've spoken about so far. (laughs) Something that I see all of the time because of being here in Japan, and something I, I just. Never got into personally myself. It's not the type of rhythm game. I think because it requires physical exertion, um, I never <laughs> truly got into this series. I, I enjoy like the odd messing around with friends, but then when I see like someone who is very good at it and they're like sweating profusely from every aspect of their body, um, I'm like, nope, no thank you. I'd rather I'd rather stay not sweaty. Thank you. So let's <laughs> listen to some music from this next game, and that's of course. Dive straight into the next game on Kelsey's list. jumping into the fourth game on kelsey's list now uh, a game that originally released in arcades back in 2006 and actually surprisingly enough released in arcades in europe and america before they released in japan which is weird i don't know whether there was that something right? about I yeah know that. <laughs> yeah it released in arcades in europe in april of 2006 and it didn't reach japan's arcades until July of 2006. I don't know whether it's because Euro pop and um, house music being like a huge thing in Europe, they were just like, oh gosh, it's, get this. yeah,
1: it's all Euro beat in that yeah." Get this, soundtrack, get, so. <laughs> get this,
0: get it out, get it out in Europe. Let let the let them Euro, let the Europeans have it first. Um, but then it did release on the home consoles on the PlayStation Two uh, later that year in North America, and then in 2007 for Japan and Europe. It's a single-player, multiplayer, online play, as it quotes on the box experience. But we all know you need a dance map for this thing. De- developed by Konami. um, Rest in peace, Konami. The series is, of course, Dance Dance Revolution. It is Dance Dance Revolution Supernova. Kelsey, why are you taking Dance Dance Revolution Supernova? Why are you taking one, a Dance Dance Revolution game? but Specifically, why Supernova? So...
1: I really like rhythm games, but I felt like I kind of had to limit myself to just one. So uh, although I love lots of rhythm games and lots of ones that don't require as much physical exertion, uh, this was really like my first uh, rhythm game love, I would say. I mean, I, I played Extreme and Extreme 2 before this one came out, but this was the one that I got obsessed with and and i can't really tell you why it was probably just that this was the new one in the arcade in 2006 and i really just wanted to be playing the newest ddr in 2006 that was when i was going to the mall every weekend with my friends to play this game but i'm a, i'm a huge fan of the series it it keeps you in pretty good shape uh, i unfortunately live on the fifth floor of an apartment complex now so i can no longer play this game in my own home uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um nor am I in, like, super great shape right now. But at the time, I mean, it was, this was kind of my my cardio. And it's a ton of fun. You know, when people say, like, that working out is not fun, uh, they have not played Dance Dance Revolution at a, I mean, if, okay, so if you're not very good at this game or you're just kind of, like, at the basic or light levels, it's not going to give you a workout. But I was playing at a pretty high level when I was, like, Twelve years old or so, however old I was back then, thirteen. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was. I mean, when you talk about people sweating and uh, using that bar behind them and everything, and it looking crazy, that was that was me and my friends playing this game. So, the soundtrack to this game is incredible. There's there's tons of really awesome, catchy songs in it, and it's it's just a really really solid rhythm game. It just works.
0: In terms of, like, the physical to this sort of maybe the dexterous ones where you need to require your hands, are you much more into the sort of dancing-type ones?
1: No, is, I'm actually... It... I actually don't play any Just Dance or any of, like... I, I'm typically not a dancing game person. Um, I like hitting buttons better. I like Taipun a lot. Um, and I like, you know, just kind of the normal rhythm games in general but but again this was like my first this is my first love for rhythm games this is what got me into it uh and and I got really good at it and I haven't been super good at any rhythm game other than this one I mean I've been been good but not like not to the point where there would sometimes be a small crowd gathering around me while I'm playing good you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah (laughs) so what 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 are the other sort of rhythm games you are into then uh
1: taiko no tatsujin or taiko drum master is probably the other like big one um there's also this new game that well it's new to me i'm not actually sure how new it is but you've probably seen it in japan uh i've only ever seen it at like round one arcades here in the u.s um it's called music gun gun and
0: yeah i don't think i've heard of this
1: it is a gun rhythm game
0: a gun they, rhythm they, game they, like, oh light my gosh. gun
1: rhythm game it's amazing uh it's it's probably like my new favorite rhythm game but <laughs> but because i don't have like a home version of this or uh, i have to travel pretty far to go play it it's not something that i'm incredible at yet but it's a it's really cool i also i, I tend to just like any of the ones i guess that have peripherals now that i'm saying it out loud like uh i like donkey conga a lot i like pop and music i mean these are all things where you have to like have a, an awkward controller with you <laughs> <laughs> so
0: just ones with any excuse to like hit random plastic objects I,
1: yeah i guess so i just i guess i just need to like be violent when i'm playing video games or playing rhythm video games <laughs>
0: <laughs> just get all the anger out into some joyous music man I da for dance, but for me dance dance I I don't know, I just don't think I ever got into the whole dancing thing. Well and it's uh, weird
1: too because I I don't like and I, I don't want to say I don't like because it's really just that I am not interested in. Um I'm not interested in the just dance games. I'm not interested in like any other type of real dance. But I mean Dance Dance Revolution is not dancing. It's not even close. <laughs> Like you're just hitting things with your feet. If you see me when I'm playing, especially at a high level, I mean, and I, I'm holding onto the bar in the back, and my feet are moving so fast that it looks like I'm starting to like levitate off the ground a little bit. I mean, that's not dancing. That just looks ridiculous. But it's, good. it's fun. It's a good workout.
0: <laughs> Just moving about at fast pace.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, literally at the highest levels of this game, and again, I'm not that good at this game anymore. I used to be because I used to play every single day for, like, hours every day. But um, when I was really good at this game, like, it just looks like insane flailing. Like no one, no one looks cool doing it. It's just impressive. (laughs) So you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to the club and just start like flailing your legs wildly. Uh, This didn't teach me how to dance at all. It's, it's really just a, it's more like a running rhythm game. (laughs) Like a sprinting rhythm game. A
0: sprinting rhythm game. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I see the thing is in Japan though, it's almost, it's almost intimidating. You know how people complain about not being able to get into competitive online games because the bar is set so high and it's intimidating to like start playing Overwatch or League of Legends because yeah. already people are so good. That's what Japanese arcades are like with rhythm games. Like <laughs> everyone is like a robot. They're so good and so quick that you're like I kind of just I just I just want one go and you put like you put your 100 yen and you're like You put it on medium and you're like, "Huh, having fun. just kind of
1: looking at you like, you could just feel the
0: eyes. You could feel (laughs) them on you and they're like, gaijin, so bad. And then obviously not like that, but just the feeling that everyone else is so good at it. It's just like, oh, I kind of, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to go home and cry (laughs) for a little bit. (laughs) Especially when it comes to Dance Dance Revolution, because those guys, their legs are like machine guns. They're just. Yeah so fast well that's why i
1: mean that's why you can't play if you uh live in an apartment (laughs) not on the bottom floor that's true
0: and in japan especially just like you'd put your foot (laughs) through the floor (laughs) apartments are so fragile but on the deserted place you know in the deserted island your animal crossing place you're gonna be fine you, yeah, you, and I'm you, gonna get in
1: great shape too.
0: You, you will, and you know, shaking trees will become easier. You'll become like physically stronger to get the coconuts and the apples now and stuff like that. It's a, uh, it's a good, it's a good plan, a good system. So you can make as much noise as you want as well. Uh, but we're gonna switch it up again, and we're gonna go back into RPGs now. And this one, I, I, I don't want to call it a Nintendo game, but. It it is associated with Nintendo. It's developed by the wonderful guys at Monolith Soft. You know, responsible for some of the Xenoblade games and some of the just best JRPGs of the past twenty years. Uh, of course, directed by Genki Yokota and Ko- Kojima. It's um written by Teziya Takahashi, the man responsible for some of the best Xenoblade games and the Xenogears and all those wonderful games from the Xeno series. So let's listen to some wonderful music from this next game. Gower Plains. Oh my God. Such a great track. Let's listen to that. And let's, of course, dive straight into the next game on Kelsey's List. jumping into the next game then as we said it's a big huge action role playing game a game that I think most people who played probably enjoyed but didn't finish because this game is huge and if you didn't finish it you probably missed out on one of the best JRPG stories in a long time i really enjoyed the story to this game um from what i could understand eventually and what i read about afterwards piecing the stuff together i don't know how you were kelsey with the story for this game no
1: that's that's such a uh so funny that you bring that up because um for every xeno game that i've played uh especially the xenoblade chronicles games and it's i mean again just love 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 this series um as soon as it's over, I start going on message boards and reading the conversations people have been having about it. Because what? you almost always end the game with some questions. You're just like, what,
0: <laughs> what just happened? Like, yeah. Shulk became a, <laughs> a god? What, <laughs> what just, what just, what just happened? <laughs> yes, sorry. For people who maybe didn't finish it back in 2010 when it first released in Japan. This game has been released for the Wii, the the new 3ds as well it had that sort of weird port but was only for the nintendo 3ds but was like one of the only games that was like you can only play this on the new 3ds because we need the cpu power um but it is the wonderful xenoblade chronicles a game that took nintendo a damn long time to bring to western shores after fan push heavily for it and i think for the best because this game sold incredibly well spawning two sequels um xenoblade chronicles x and xenoblade chronicles 2 which released last year it is of course the game that follows shulk the wonderful protagonist who we can also see now in smash brothers with his wonderful monado and (laughs) the great voice acting in that game it is of course the next game on kelsey's list is xenoblade chronicles kelsey why out of all the jrpgs you could have chosen is Xenoblade Chronicles the one you're taking with you?
1: I love this game so much. And when you were saying that most people haven't finished this game, I I was kind of laughing because, I mean, you can put as little as 75 hours into this game or as much as 200 to 230 hours into this game. Yeah. (laughs) So there's so, so much to do. Um, And so much to see. It's got one of the most incredible soundtracks of all time. And and it's gorgeous. I mean, it's honestly the environment, the environment and the like world building in this game is so gorgeous. And when you start the game, uh, I guess not immediately, but pretty quickly after you start the game, you start to feel like, it's not like Pokemon where you walk out into the grass and you only see things that reflect your own level. You know, you only see level two pidgeys or whatever because you're only level four or level five instead what you see is holy crap there is a monster the size of a building that is level 80 and i need to get around this thing i need to like <laughs> be not in its line of sight
0: i'm and level eight is... and this yeah. is going to go terrible
1: <laughs> and nothing is off limits in this game i mean there's no like really actual restricted areas it's just that do you really want to try to walk into that area filled with level 75 giant apes you know like <laughs> it's not going to go very well for you <laughs> so uh cuz you know a lot of rpgs kind of just make it so that you can't go to normal but there's just a party member's like hey we're not supposed to be going that way and then you just can't yes um, but i i love that this game not only lets you explore but it kind of encourages you to because it kind of slowly fills out your map as you as you go around so i actually i spent one evening just kind of swimming around in this in this area that was uh like mostly water and i just kind of tried to go to the perimeter of the whole thing just so i could have the full (laughs) all of the water filled out on my map um and it just the story's really good uh, and it's a really like, there's some plot twists in there that you will never see coming. And I really, really, really liked that about it. I liked the characters and I liked the story itself, but most of all, I really just liked the setting Yeah, and, and the way they build this world out and encourage you to explore and encourage you to, um, kind of test yourself against against things much bigger, much stronger than you. you When you finish the game, I think if you're playing kind of like normally and not doing a lot of side quest type things, if I'm remembering correctly, you'll probably some be somewhere around level like 65 or so. But there's a ton of monsters in the game that are like level 90, level 95, level 99. And so what do you do? I mean, do you go finish the game or do you want to try to take down those amazing monsters before you, <laughs> before you reach the end? So um I'm not a completionist and I never have been but this is one of the only games where I kind of I started thinking that way. I'm like I can't possibly go to the end of this game without seeing what this guy's all about, you know, this this level 85 guy over here and this you know, this guy that's the size of a mountain over here. Like I got to I got to go fight these guys before I do anything else.
0: In terms so. of like this is the thing about zero. It's very much a traditional JRPG in the sense that it has these secrets beyond the end of the game. Not yes. many games have that these days. I think Final Fantasy XV itself did a pretty good job of doing stuff like that. But when it came to being like a traditional JRPG disguised in this rather modern combat system and very inventive uh, way of doing things like... Putting giant level eighty monsters in front of like a zone that is level ten or something, <laughs> like it just kept throwing up surprises while also harking back to what made JRPGs very cool, having all these different secrets and stuff like that. Um, what what is it? Do you think specifically why Xenoblade Chronicles, out of all the JRPGs that have you know been released in modern times, let's say, I. I and I don't specifically know what I mean by modern times, I guess, since PlayStation One era when we had JRPGs in abundance. What is it about Xenoblade Chronicles that really just became so special? Why is it that when we think about the JRPG genre itself now, we only really have Final Fantasy, Nino Kuni, and like Xenoblade Chronicles, there isn't like this abundance of those games anymore. What is it that makes Xenoblade Chronicles stick around?
1: Yeah, in terms of like epic ones, as opposed to just kind of tropey anime ones, which there are plenty of. Yeah, um, like the Tales and, and the, series, and, and that stuff doesn't like necessarily that. make it bad. I love the Tale series, but yeah, uh, but in terms of these kind of like epic things, I mean, there's just yeah, like you're saying, there's just not a whole lot of uh, big names out there in that anymore. And while I love the Final Fantasy series. Um, I think that the Xenoblade series explores kind of a really interesting, um, a really interesting setting. I mean, it's not it's not modern, and it's not exactly there. There is some like of of that. Oh well, we we're relatively simple, but there's this ancient technology that's far greater than you know. I'm the, not sure. I there's understand. a there's some of that in there too, but uh, to me, it feels really fresh because. I mean if you I don't think this is much of a spoiler but you're not just living on a planet you're living on a living being. Yes. And and that's part of uh Xenoblade Chronicles 2 as well um is that it's not it's not just that you're kind of in this uh semi technology this civili- civilization with a some technology but there's also an ancient technology but you're also living on this living being that has a history with this technology too. Um it's kind of hard to explain. I mean anything when you try to get into an RPG like that you just kind of end up talking about the lore and it doesn't you know it, <laughs> it's hard to talk about an RPG in a way that makes sense without getting too heavy into the lore but I really really like the setting of of the series and the way that they kind of build out The world like that, especially since it's not really like immediately obvious. If you were to, if you were to just kind of get dropped in Gower Plains, like it doesn't, there's not really any indication that that's what you're living on.
0: Yeah. It just looks like a giant, beautiful grassy field. (laughs) Right. And then you sort of zoom out a little bit and you're like, oh my God, what the what the fuck am i standing on
1: <laughs> yeah and and you'll you know it'll just kind of it'll get there later when you're like wait by leg oh like oh i'm on the leg right now that's or you know meconist's head or whatever like you're yeah on like when the map tells you in the corner yeah. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> they're
0: all different the best part is like they're all different climates like yeah you're like how can this thing be so big that it it's almost like in a different hemisphere. It has, it's so big. It has its own multiple climate system on its body. It's incredible, but oh man, going off of that. Then we had Xenoblade Chronicles X. How did you feel about that game?
1: So I, I want the chance to replay that on not the Wii U and it's not that I don't like the Wii U, but I, for a game that long, I really need to have it in a portable form. (laughs) I just I just get distracted when I am tasked with a 200-hour RPG and I have to do all of it sitting in front of my TV. So I never finished that one. I actually thought it was pretty interesting, like a pretty interesting take on, uh, on what was going on. And I, I wish I, now that I've played two especially, I really do want to go and finish it because I have... I have theories of how it ties into the other two. Um, yeah, that I probably won't know until the end of that game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was it was interesting. I actually quite liked the. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't like the art style of that game, but I actually did. I I play so many JRPGs that are so anime that it was kind of refreshing to have one that like almost. Started to look a little more like Mass Effect E. Like it wasn't. It there was still the anime influences there, but it started to get a little bit more realistic. Yeah. Um, and and the environments were gorgeous, of course. Um, but I think the issue with that game, aside from it being on on a uh, Wii U, and that's again just a personal preference for me, um, was. There was a lot of very repetitive uh, side quests, and the Xenoblade series is full, full of side quests as many as you could possibly want to do. But um, a lot of the things that I really enjoyed about Xenoblade Chronicles One and Two, which was kind of just straying away from the story and doing other side fun stuff, it didn't seem like it was there as much for X. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know it, if you feel the same way.
0: And I, I don't know, like. There was something about Xenoblade Chronicles that even though it was on the Wii and obviously didn't have as much sort of, I don't know, technical power behind it, it felt full. Like, the world felt full. Like, the grass was long, so you couldn't really see what was in front of you, whether that described, you know, it just hid what was not there. But it did feel full a lot of the time. Whereas X, because you'd go into these cities... And it tried to give like a popular city vibe. But because it was on the Wii U, it couldn't (laughs) pump out. And although like the worlds were incredible and like you had all these monsters and you'd, especially when you got your scale and you could fly through the the skies and stuff like that. But when you were in the cities and stuff like that, it just felt so empty. It felt so dead. It felt like a PlayStation 2 game. And that just, it just felt like, why am I doing things again? There's like, there's no one here. There's nobody to to do this kind of stuff for. Why am I working my ass off with all these sort of tedious quests?
1: That's always a, a problem in JRPGs too, but I mean, usually they will recognize that, okay, well, let's just not make the city enormous then. Like if we can't fill it with people, it's just it'll only look worse as an enormous empty city. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think that was definitely a, a shortcoming of that game.
0: <laughs> so then, before we move on, then very quickly, have you played two?
1: Yes, and I actually put uh, about a hundred and sixty-five hours into that game.
0: And, wow! Yeah,
1: and I, I, I liked the first one better, but I put more hours into Xenoblade Chronicles too, and um, I feel like that's partially because it was on the Switch and just more so than likely. easy to, yeah, <laughs> so easy to pick up and play. Uh, but the other thing, like, it was a good game, and I was really, uh, I really enjoyed how the ending, if you, like, blink and you miss it, but the ending tied itself right into the first Xenoblade Chronicles, and that was really the only way, it was at the very end of that game, um, it kind of, like, wrapped up together, so, uh, that was, that was really cool, but the one of the things that kept me interested in that game honestly is that you have to gamble to get the blades which are like party members and yeah have they're like exclusive quests yeah, and stuff like it's so, like a
0: weird japanese gacha system or I, it
1: really was and i totally i totally fell for it too i mean i really think <laughs> that like there was no reason uh for me to necessarily be playing it for that long because although i liked it obviously i liked it i really did yeah but, um I didn't like it more than the first Xenoblade Chronicles and I just kept playing because I'm like, well, I just want to get like two or three more blades and then do their side stories and then do, you know what I mean? I just, I wanted to do all of their unique side quests and that ended up taking so much time. Um, and eventually, you know, after about 160 hours, I was like, I should probably just finish this game. <laughs> I'm There's just gonna I'm Monster just gonna Hunter's coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: I need to move on. Yeah, I need to so spend exactly another 200 hours on something else. <laughs>
1: yeah, but but I will say, if you if you are able to put, you know, a ton of hours into two very good games, the play the first Xenoblade Chronicles. And then play Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and at the very end you're going to be like, what? And it'll be, it was it's, it's a really cool moment for me to see them tie in together like that. But I can't, it's such an enormous spoiler for both games that I can't even, I can only be super vague about it.
0: <laughs> well, we'll leave it there for now then. So you can take <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles with you, you can take another giant RPG to go with you. And we're going to talk about another RPG now. Um, but a little more on the lightweight scale. But you can still spend hundreds of hours collecting um, every every creature in this game. <laughs> um, I mean, it wouldn't be your list, I guess, without this series, would it, Kelsey? <laughs> yeah. With, without Animal Crossing and without this next series. So let's listen to some of the best music in video games. Truly the best music in video games. And let's, of course, dive straight into the next game. Jumping into the next game on Kelsey's list then. Another wonderful RPG. Um. I don't like using JRPG for this series. I don't even particularly even like using RPG because they're, 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 they're weirdly. They're just th- their games. <laughs> they are the Pokemon games. They have a gameplay system that has lasted through 20 years without changing very much. And. They are just some of the most joyous and wonderful experiences I've personally had. And it wouldn't be Kelsey's list, of course, without choosing a Pokemon game, too, to take with her. But the game that she's going to take with her is from my favorite generation of the whole Pokemon series. My favorite game is Gold. I love Pokemon Gold so much. But the one that Kelsey's going to be taking with her was developed, of course by Nintendo and Game Freak. It was released a year after Golden Silver as a sister game to the two of them, back in uh, 2001, November of 2001. Whew, I'm so old now. <laughs> <laughs> but it has various options, uh, like being able to play as a girl this time. Good old Nintendo, doing things later than everyone else. But it did release back on the Game Boy Color and had the beautiful sewer scene, as the uh, box art. It is, of course, Pokemon Crystal. Kelsey, out of all the Pokemon games you could have chosen, why are you choosing Crystal?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's the best one. You
0: basically said <laughs> it yourself
1: with Pokemon Gold, right? Yeah, but,
0: uh, but Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I would choose Heart Gold. If I, if I. I if I, I almost circle.
1: went with that, actually. I almost went with Heart Gold, but I this was one of the ones where nostalgia just kind of won out a little bit, <laughs> uh, in ter- over like practicality. But Pokemon Crystal, to me, I started playing Pokemon like since the beginning. I started with Pokemon Blue, but uh, Pokemon Crystal was a really, really big moment for me. It felt like, and I'm I'm not someone who needs to play as a girl uh, in order to enjoy a game i you know i put plenty of jrpgs where you don't have a choice that I, yeah. I it doesn't bother me but pokemon's a pretty personal journey i feel like like you were saying yes. it's not really much of a jrpg um yeah. it has some of the same concepts as a jrpg but it really is kind of in a league of its own so um being able to even kind of take that personal experience even further uh, be a girl uh, I really the jodo region to me is just my favorite I think the it's best got, one
0: yeah yeah
1: it's got the most interesting it's very very heavily Japanese culture inspired yeah um,
0: it is Kyoto uh, yeah. essentially <laughs>
1: yeah so much more so than really any of the other uh, any of the other areas that they've put in Pokemon games this one truly has the most kind of like um I want to say like spirit to it. Like it really feels like there's a full culture going on there as opposed to Pokemon exists in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But you know, there's the sprout tower. There's like these, these kind of shrine like areas where, and, and ancient tombs in this where it's like Pokemon have always been here. And this is like a big part of the whole culture and the whole history of the Pokemon world. Like,
0: you
1: know, um, and, and, It's not so much that that, that the story or any of that is super important in Pokemon, but it really kind of made the whole thing feel a lot more real to me. Like, you really are in this Pokemon world and, uh... And it's not just a generic quest to be the best. I mean it's it still is, obviously. <laughs> but there's
0: there just was throwing more the going tagline there. out there. <laughs> yeah.
1: There, there was more going on there, I felt like, because you would end up going through these areas that, you know, had this kind of like ancient history to them. And seeing seeing Ho and uh and Lugia and the, the three dogs um the first time, I mean, they felt like they felt like real legendary Pokemon because as much as I love, like, Zapdos is one of my favorite Pokemon, but, like, he was just a bird hanging out in an electric plant. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't really feel that legendary to me. It felt like he's just kind of chilling in this in this area that's kind of dangerous, and that's why people don't go there. But, you know, these, these legendary dogs that, like, ran across the world and would run from you and were in, you know were moving around constantly. Yeah, and you could see and, them and on felt, the
0: map and Yeah, just, and they, they felt
1: more unobtainable because you couldn't just go to them and fight them and save your game beforehand. It was like a real it was like actually a real struggle to catch them. Um, yes. And that's even in in the story. Like you see um you you called it uh Suisun?
0: Suicide Suicide
1: Suis, I always said Suicune. I have no idea now that you've said that, I need to like look at it and and figure out if that was just. That's how that's how I, was, that's like, how I used to friend.
0: say it, uh, but you are you are correct though. See, like I would say suisei, <laughs> like when I was younger. I don't know why, but uh, the Japanese would be suikune, suikun. So you, yeah, all right, you you nailed it. Yeah, mine cool. mine is the incorrect pronunciation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, you scared me a little bit there, but. <laughs> But, I mean, you see, you see him in the story, and he, like, runs away. Like, you you see the sprite on the overworld map uh, during the kind of story bits of the game before you have the chance to catch him. Yeah. And so it, it just kind of legitimizes the whole, this is actually, like, a legendary... Um, like, I'll you know, never get
2: him. Yeah, I'll you'll never, never get, get him. this guy.
1: He just shows up for a split second and leaves and, like, you know. So it, it felt a lot more uh, epic to me that way it and did. of course the best thing about the second generation of pokemon is that you can still go back to the first generation to yeah, kanto to
0: kanto and after, after you finish the game there is a yeah. whole other game amazing
1: and that was the best because uh because i didn't know you know you you didn't know at first when you first started playing the game unless i guess you were reading about it which I apparently wasn't smart enough to do but yeah,
0: I definitely at the time I had no idea. Back 2000, 2001, No, I I would have had no idea. I think.
1: Yeah, so it was like a big surprise, and it felt like, you know, it felt like a present within a present. Like
0: there's more. <laughs> so <laughs> I just defeated the like, I just defeated the the elites, and and now now I'm the champion. Wait, what? Now I have to go to a mountain and defeat red or blue or, or gold or so. Like the idea that the game continued on and you had this like immense team of Pokemon now and you were like, what is happening? And Like your, your tiny 10 year old mind just can't handle how incredible a prospect that is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: and this, of, of course, <laughs> the legend goes um, the story is that we have Kanto because Satori Iwata himself made the programming technology to fit it on the game cartridge which yeah. is I love incredible that story. it's a beautiful story so thank you mr Iwata, for blowing my mind as a 10 year old kid. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good in terms of like as the pokemon series has gone on obviously of course we have a lot of people who have sort of dropped away and people complain about later generations of pokemon which is understandable a lot of people just I get bored they burn out on series anyway and a lot of people blame it on lack of inventive designs when it comes to pokemon which i think is a lame excuse because that's,
1: if, that's such bullshit yeah. there is a seal named seal come on
0: exactly we have, there is
1: there's there's, there's so, is so much like un-inventiveness. and
0: and of that just yeah. pokeballs and This series has been like this since the beginning. Um, I know. Yeah. I
1: actually think it's quite fitting for there to be plenty of Pokemon that really are more like a, um, kind of like occult or yokai type creatures, like a you know a bag of trash or whatever that's alive. (laughs) Like this is a very, this is actually like very classic Japanese stuff. Like possessed everyday objects are like a big thing in in the kind of occult history. In in Japan, so that's never bothered me. Uh, and really, the only Pokemon game I would say that didn't that I didn't love was probably Black and White. And I think, despite the fact that I love new Pokemon and all of that, that game took out all of the familiar Pokemon and forced you to go through almost the entire game without seeing anything.
0: Yeah, that that one was Yeah, that one was the biggest change as far as I can remember. Yeah. But that was also and that the was one mis- that-
1: to me that was a mistake. I mean, even for someone who's hardcore like me and really enjoyed a lot of the new designs, I think that to kind of keep people coming back, you have to attach some level of familiarity to to each new iteration. Like you got to have Yeah. You got some think- of it there.
0: It, it was like, I don't know what they were going for, because obviously they had released Platinum and Diamond and Pearl on the DS. And then Black and White was kind of the big new invention. Like, I I don't know what, but the one thing I did like about Black and White was the, I, the story was a story in that game.
1: Yeah, it was it was very like adult. Yeah, type. it was it like... Was, it was kind of like are we uh, doing the
0: right thing making pokemon fight each other like is this okay i can't believe everyone is doing this. like it was it was pretty hard hitting for a pokemon story so it yeah. did try to change things up but you are right there was a lack of familiarity with it and you know some of the designs for that one like vanillish and uh, <laughs> other stuff like that a lot of people did find egregious but uh, it was it was okay it were, it were the the story they tried something it was okay but moving to now like Sun and Moon like Ultra Sun and Moon being the latest ones I feel like they're the pinnacle of where the series has got to because the familiarity is there but there are all these huge changes too um but they've Absolutely. they've done really well with it apart from the very slow 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 beginning of Sun and Moon incredibly slow oh yeah
1: it is <laughs>
0: <laughs> very very I, even slow by Pokemon standards Still pretty good, though.
1: Yeah, I liked... Uh, there are many things I loved about Sun and Moon, um, and there's also many things I loved about X and Y, and I feel like they should just kind of be married together to be the perfect Pokemon game.
0: No, X um, and Y was so good. So yeah,
1: good. I, I, I don't mind that they changed up the the gym format and all of that stuff. I don't mind that it's a very different setting, um and that there's kind of all these new features and it all of that is uh is is pretty cool to me and and doesn't bother me what kind of bothered me about this game this is gonna sound so dumb, but like the story <laughs> in in sun and moon like it it started going obviously Pokemon is set in a very like fantastical uh you know no basis in reality world so it's i'm it's not so much that like you can't have Pokemon in space. that's just not done it's not it's not so much of that, but it was kind of the combination of that and a really just like unlikable but not in a good way um antagonist group with team skull and uh and finally, this is <laughs> maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but you know uh lily the girl who's got who's kind of following you around on this whole adventure yeah um she basically has just this horrifically abusive mom and at the end of the game after just like begging and begging her mom to change and sticking around it's just like okay so uh, to me (laughs) to me what i got was the moral of the story is if you just if you just stick it out and and love your your abusive parents hard enough they'll stop being abusive and everything will work out okay. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't exactly like that that lesson at the end there. It felt very. Um, I, I just I didn't feel like any of the, any of the conflict was very realistic.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? Like everyone was just pure evil that was eventually. Uh, not everyone, but you know, there was like some pure evil that just through the power of of being told that they're being evil enough kind of stopped being evil for the power
0: of friendship
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so um and i i expect a level of that in every jrpg and in pokemon and stuff but it just it it really did not impress me this time around but with that being said i absolutely loved the um the alolan forms yes um, just i mean the world was great most everything about that game was great
0: Oh, this is good. And soon enough, soon, soon enough, I imagine we will be hearing about the next iteration of the Pokemon series, moving into th- true 3D space um, with the Switch version um, that hopefully will come out next year. Um, but until then, we wait in anticipation for more Pokemon games. But for now, Kelsey, you can take Pokemon Crystal with you to your deserted place. And uh, enjoy the good old memories of Kanto and Johto and all those wonderful Pokemon types. Actually, before we change from Pokemon, Kelsey, what is your favorite Pokemon?
1: Oh, my favorite. Hmm. You know, it's hard to say. I I love bird Pokemon. Um, Interesting. My my favorite Pokemon is probably Zapdos, but
0: Ah. I, I mean...
1: Really, it's kind of like a, you know, I feel like everyone has kind of like a top 10 and none of them yes. are really quite number one. They're all yeah. just like a blob of favorites at the top there.
0: I have a so. definitive favorite, but I absolutely know what you mean. Like there is like a top 10 that changes all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, what is I, your favorite?
0: Um, My favorite forever, and I have a tattoo of him on my body, which is another story I'll tell another day, <laughs> um, is Raichu. Oh, cool! I love Raichu very much. Raichu is my favorite. Ever since I got the Lieutenant Surge Raichu Legendary card when I was about eight, (laughs) I was that was my everyone had like the shiny Charizard, but I had this shiny Lieutenant Surge Raichu card that was like my pride and joy, and I've loved Raichu ever since then. (laughs) I used to get really extremely upset at Ash for every time he had the chance to evolve Pikachu and he didn't. (laughs) And like, he what didn't is evol- wrong
1: with you?
0: I'd be like, why would you not want to Raichu? What is wrong with you, Ash? Speed, power, oh, come on. It, oh, uh, the speed stats on Raichu, come on. <laughs> but yeah, Raichu is definitely my favorite. Electric Pokemon, I think I think electric is probably like the one of the number one types, right? It must be. And fire, oh, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, I love electric types.
0: Oh, so good. So many good ones. Zapdos is one of the best legendaries. Jolteon. Is one of the best EV forms. Oh, I could talk about Pokemon forever, but we should move on. <laughs> we should move on to the next game. And a very I, probably the most unique, I think, on your list is the next game. Um, maybe not as unique as Dance Dance Supernova, but definitely unique in terms of this entry into this series, I think is a, a very unique one. So let's listen to some music from the second to last game on Kelsey's list. And let's, of course... Dive straight into it. So jumping into the second to last game on kelsey's list now and as i said kind of a unique entry into the series uh the first jump into 3d for this character having been solely 2d platforming prior um it came out around the same time as super smash brothers back in 2000 and this character also featured in super smash brothers making uh making I think that was, like, the turn when this character became, like, a household name. Like, everyone knew who this character was. He was in Super Smash Bros., had his own, like, 3D platformer now. Um, But this, I think, on the Nintendo 64, this is one of the games that sort of gets lost at a wayside, although it was received very positively back in the day when people mentioned, Oh, platformers on the Nintendo 64, Super Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, all the other, like, giants of that era. Donkey Kong 64... This one, no one really talks about this one. So I'm intrigued to know, Kelsey, why a game developed by HAL Laboratory and uh, directed by Shinichi Shinomura with producing by Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, the creator of Kirby, the wonderful Sakurai, was not involved in this game. But why is Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, Kirby's first 3D outing, uh, the the game you're taking, Kelsey, the second to last yeah. one?
1: This is a very nostalgia-inspired pick, I think, but it's a game that I go back and beat probably once a year, uh, and to me what makes- I mean, Kirby games are great, and they're pretty much just- you could always pick up a Kirby game and know that it's gonna be good, and- Um, and just kind of that it is going to be good like it is just going to be a
0: good experience Yes,
1: exactly. So you you know right away. It's gonna have a fun soundtrack. It's gonna be colorful and it's gonna be good but uh, What this game did different from the other ones and the greatest mechanic that uh, They basically didn't really bring back until this newest Kirby game uh, is that you can combine powers and That, to me, was such a cool way to go through the game. Um, Beforehand, you would just, you know, you would get a firepower or an electric power. And in this game, you could combine things like the boomerang and the bomb, and you could get an exploding, uh, like, ninja star. Like, these just crazy combinations. You could have uh, fireworks. You could have missiles. You could be like a Swiss army knife... Uh, on you <laughs> to your enemies like there's just all of these really interesting um combinations in this game so this this game this was one of the first nintendo 64 games i had i don't think it was the first but it was it was certainly among them and i just i just absolutely loved everything from the music in it to the bosses even the mini games in this game are a lot of fun um and but most of all I really just loved the ability to combine powers and really experiment with that because they're just there's so many combinations
0: it's weird because Kirby games obviously are very well known for Kirby taking on the forms of other characters. But the one thing I, I mean, I love the Kirby games, but I find them a little redundant to all of these different forms because the game is so easy sometimes that there is it like is. there is no varying degree of difference between pressing A on one power and pressing A on another power. It's essentially just kill the the other character. It's more like visual effects stimulation than it is like actual strategy.
1: Yeah. Which is uh, weird because
0: I... Sorry, yeah,
1: go ahead. I was just going to say, to me, it, it just kind of creates like another way to go through the game. Like, you can go through with pretty... uh you know with one kind of set of powers just some very straightforward like um you know something like the fire power or the electric power where it's pretty much the same in every game Um, or you can start to use these really weird ones like um, where kirby can turn into a fridge to make himself some food so he can heal and um, do think, you
0: ever need to heal though
1: <laughs> i mean not typically but but one of the things one of the other things i like about this game is that uh, so there's two endings the first time you go through it probably you did not pick up all of the crystal shards because tons of them are hidden and they're hidden in a way where you have to have a certain power or combination of powers to access it oh ah, okay uh, so there might be like in one level you'll see a block that's colored red or something, and you have to have the firepower to do that. Um, or, um, you know, basically you have to have this, it'll be like red and green, and so you have to have the boomerang plus firepower to get to it, to break this block to, to get by it. Um, so there's two endings to the game. You, you beat the final boss once, and it ends on a very ominous, like, it looks like the day is saved, but then your little fairy friend gets like an evil look in her eye. And you can kind of see some like blackness creeping in the background that this um, kind of like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but this kind of like black sparkly stuff that had kind of covered the whole world in darkness. Um, You kind of start to see that a little bit in the background and this evil smile. And you're like, (laughs) wait a minute, what? (laughs) <laughs> and then you've realized you have to get all of the crystal shards back together to fight the real boss. Ah, the it's one of those. Of the
0: game. Ah, yeah. okay. And
1: I mean it doesn't it's a Kirby game, it's not like it starts you over. It's not like it's new game plus now. You can go back It's just to the
0: immediately and, massively yeah. difficult. It's like <laughs> ha this is the real task.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um but the final, the final, final boss of that game is actually pretty difficult. As I mean, I would say that every Kirby game is pretty easy up until the very end, and then it's like, oh, okay, this game does have a little bit of a, a kick to it. It's got, it's got something here. It's just yeah, I will admit, pretty like, easy up until this point. <laughs> yeah, I will
0: admit. Towards the end of the Kirby Robot uh, one on three DS, I can never pronounce it. Robot, roboto, roboto, Bot. I can't Robobot. remember. I can... Yeah, Robo Robo ro- Robo <laughs> It's like a double bot, isn't it? Or something. I, I it, uh, Robo. I
1: thought ro- it was just Robo Bot.
0: Robo Bot. Robo Bot. It
1: reminds me of like that, that anime, Bobo 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 Bobo.
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty much what it's like in my head. I'm like, Robo Bobo Bobo. Robo Bobo How Shout- many bo- bows bo- bo- does back. it have in it? But that game, I remember towards the end of that, that got a little challenging, actually. It got quite difficult. Yeah. Some of the boss fights towards that one got a little different and you had to manage the different powers and also the different powers of the Bot and um, other things like that. So I guess there is elements of challenge in some Kirby games. Just sometimes I find like I was watching some of the gameplay for the Kirby Star Allies, the brand new one that came out for the switch, which looks beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful, like visually. Um, but like when they're combining powers and all you're doing is like pressing a and like, it's so easy to kill the enemies. I was kind yeah,
1: of like, it's, it's, a pretty easy game
0: I wish (laughs) I just wish there was a little more I understand I totally understand with games like Kirby's Epic Yarn and stuff like that that there is an element to the design that requires it to be like that to be easy and to be friendly but with yeah. some Kirby well, there, there games, there needs let's,
1: to be a Kirby hard mode. I totally yeah, just, agree. There needs like, to just be like, a, I'm an adult now. Give me a harder Kirby game. But
0: like the idea <laughs> of combining different powers from the Kirby games, like to me is like a, an amazing prospect. Like, oh, there is like these enemies made of fire. I need to combine like ice, and I need to like aim for this Like the degree of strategy is there. Like there is so much you could do with it. Now I just I I want them to do it soon. Please, yeah. <laughs> please, Nintendo. Is this your favorite out of all the Kirby games? Then
1: I I think it is, and it's it's a very short,
0: specific game to take with you to a deserted it island. Is. So it must it is. be it's, a memory one.
1: It's it's a definitely nostalgia based pick, and I think that I'm probably going to be the only person to ever say this game um, because I think tons and tons of people love Kirby as a series, but they probably wouldn't pick a single. Kirby game to take with them yeah maybe but uh so I don't it's hard to explain because this is just one of those that made a real impression on me as uh a young you know as a young Kelsey I really 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 enjoyed this one and like I said I beat it multiple times um usually once a year just because it's a pretty easy game so to you're gonna beat have we
0: we so you're gonna have like a unique day in the calendar every year where it will be like ha, huh, today is the <laughs> Today is the Kirby 64 day. <laughs> Time yeah. to sit down and play well, it all the way.
1: And it's just like a pretty fun, you know, if you just need to kind of play a level of something kind of easy and feel powerful and, and uh, you know, something that's well designed and and just is fun for a good 10 minutes, I think this is basically always a good
0: one to go to. Well, you can take it with you and you can have your annual anniversary where you play all the way through it and uh, enjoy <laughs> enjoy the relaxing time that it gives. Not too much brain strain with this one. But we are going to move into a game now that requires a heck of a lot of brain strain and talking of difficulty and degrees of challenge, um, a friend of mine who i went to university with who who is one of the probably the best like rpg gamers i know like his brain works in that way where he's able to optimize very well in rpgs and understand what needs to be done but he played this next game the last game on Kelsey's list that we're going to talk about he played it on the the hardest difficulty i forget what the hardest difficulty is called in <laughs> in this game he played it all the way through 100 plus hours grinding and everything And he still couldn't defeat the final boss in this game. And I remember this whole month where he was nonstop playing this game and we'd, we'd go sit in his room and we'd, we'd sit with him and check where he's up to and watch him for a couple of hours and then we'd leave and he'd still be grinding away. And I I think it went on for like six weeks where he would continually try the last boss of the game, but he never finished it. Never finished it because it was just so hard on the, on the hardest difficulty that he had like a 150 hour plus save file that only needed the last boss defeating that never got done. And (laughs) this is just one of my standout memories of the next game we're going to talk about. But also on top of standing out memories, the soundtrack to this game, Kelsey, I think you can agree with me is fantastic. So good. It's so good. So let's, for the first time on final games, listen to some music from this next game. And let's of course dive into Kelsey's, final game. Coming into the final game on Kelsey's list. It's been such a pleasure having Kelsey on the show today and talking about all these wonderful games that I know and love too. It's been... Uh, these are always my favorite favorite shows because I can fan out as well. And this next game is a game I've wanted to talk about on the show for ever since it started. When it comes to JRPGs, there is a series that sticks out for me. And I think, especially considering the fifth iteration that's come out now that has sold... An abundance of copies and reached a far wider audience than i thought this series would ever reach um the persona series is just one of the best japanese rpg series out there and although persona 4 i think is probably and, and persona 5 i guess the standout games in the series especially with persona 4 golden on the P- on the playstation vita that came out uh so it introduced so many new players to the series My personal favorite, and I'm so glad Kelsey has chosen it, is a game that was released back on the PlayStation 2 in 2006 in its original incarnation. It it had a special version called The Fez, the F E epilogue edition that was released uh, a year later for playstation 2 as well and it also had a release on the psp which sort of turned it into a little bit of a point and click adventure game that we were talking about earlier uh, before we started recording the podcast but it was a game developed and published by atlas directed by katsuhiro hashino it is the wonderful shin megami tensei persona 3 kelsey thank you For choosing Persona 3 (laughs) and allowing me to gush as much about Persona 3 as I imagine you're going to now. But please, before we get into it, tell us, why are you taking it with you?
1: This game is so, so good. And I'm typically not into uh, exceptionally dark storylines. I think it's kind of overdone, but this game is just such a a masterpiece. I mean, I, I can't it's hard to to start talking about it because i just want to talk about everything every every part of it but there's it seeped into my real life like there was a full moon at in the real world and i was like oh shit boss fight i mean i'm like <laughs> so invested in this the game while I was playing it yeah <laughs> so invested in this game while playing it that i like was I, yeah, it was like seeping into my real life. Um, and especially with the soundtrack. I mean, it's just an incredible soundtrack. The soundtrack is fantastic. All the time.
0: Obviously, Persona is well known for its soundtracks. Persona 5 has a very jazzy theme. Persona 4 has a kind of a pop idol theme to it, like a J-pop theme. But Persona 3 is like hip hop, jazz, fusion. Like there is a Japanese artist. Unfortunately, he died, passed away a few years ago. There was a Japanese DJ called New Jabis. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But the soundtrack to Persona 3 sounds exactly like his music and it's so good. It's so, so good. I still listen to the OST for this series now. It's so good. Um, but when you're playing through this incredible game listening to that music, it's like um, when when all the elements of a good game fit together. Combat system, story, presentation, music. Persona 3 is like the epitome of that in my head.
1: It, it totally is. I, the, the story in this game, the characters, uh, the, the plot twist and, like, the, the kind of, the more you look, the more you find type deal that this game has going on, um, is just, it just gets better the more you look at it. Um, and it's all, it's just a a perfect JRPG to me, honestly. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, like, People don't really like the uh, the dungeon parts of this game. Yeah. And that's kind of a fair criticism. I don't have any problem with the battle system, but um,
0: Yeah the dungeons. You know, the dungeons, can... dungeons
1: are they're kinda of boring. They
0: They they have <laughs> and it's weird because they have like a checkerboard chess esque look to them. They so they do kind of repeat very often, even more so than Persona 4s.
1: Yeah, and and so I I get it and I you know, I love persona four and persona 5 so much and I do think they've improved the dungeons uh, since then but uh, in terms of in terms of like the content of the game and and the kind of the desperation of the story and of the characters and um, how everyone's sort of got their own thing uh, like their own real struggles going on with this that aren't they're sometimes kind of high school problems, but mostly they're not in this game. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I really, I mean, I felt like it was a really just mature, good game that still managed to paint high schoolers somewhat realistically, you know,
0: (laughs) it wasn't. This is, this is actually, this is something I've always wanted to do. And I pitched it to a few games magazines. I wanted to talk about my experiences as uh, someone who has taught in Japanese High schools and Japanese, like junior high schools here in Japan, and how amazingly well the Persona games portray school. There is yeah. a sense of familiarity to us in the West because it's a school, you go to class, but it's still like Japanese school, so it's different to us. It's, we will never quite get it.
1: it but it's interesting because it's so I mean,
0: perfectly repli- replication, it's amazing. It's so. Yeah perfect
1: it, it, it's interesting to me as someone who obviously has not been to high school in japan um but playing this game still makes me feel like i kind of get it like yes i kind of i kind of understand obviously you know you're not going to learn all there is to know about japanese high school culture from a video game but i i felt like it was actually like pretty enlightening but also presented in a way that wasn't uh wasn't too unfamiliar for like an American audience where you know many of these things are pretty different than how high school is here in the US, but um, but it still felt familiar and it still felt like I could just slip right in and kind of understand what it would be like to be in that high school, too.
0: It's it's weird because like the things people maybe like would have gripes with in um, the, the, the game, like going to club activities, doing your studying and all that kind of stuff, that is like absolutely 100% like a Japanese school. (laughs) It is so to the T that (laughs) it might get tedious because school can be tedious, but it is so perfectly representative of what a Japanese school life is like. And the fact that it combines into that interest, uh, who would have thought you'd be interested in going to school again in a game? It's, it's like the Animal Crossing doing chores thing, but for some reason it's yeah. interesting. It's like that again. Yeah, I guess
1: I'm into games that, uh, that make you do tedious stuff, apparently.
0: <laughs> exactly, right? And um, it, I don't know, there's just something so uniquely interesting about the Persona games and how they handle school and that being like a major element of... This and you know it all started with Persona Three, and Persona Three was a heck of a lot darker though. Like the idea of like shooting yourself in the head to invoke with the Invoker to bring out the Persona and stuff like that. It's
1: a little edgy. It's maybe a little over the top edgy, but (laughs) but it works honestly.
0: It's it does work, and I, I. I just want to play it now. Like <laughs> Just thinking about it makes me want to play it. It's one of those games where I just want to experience the first opening hours again just to sort of like <sighs> relax myself and be like, yeah, this I love this game. But it's a huge commitment again. You, We were talking about it just before we started recording and you were saying you finished this game three times.
1: I have. I've actually played through this game three times.
0: That but, is um, immense.
1: To be fair... Uh, one of those times was playing as uh, the female protagonist on the Persona Portable Persona 3 portable version of the game. Um, so that was slightly different. And you get New Game Plus for all of these. So, I mean, it, it definitely cut down the, uh, like, it, you know, I didn't have to grind or anything, really. It just kind of cut down on having to really uh, spend a lot of time doing anything other than the spending time with your classmates and, and studying and... You know obviously defeating bosses and and whatnot, but removing any like extra battles from it and grinding not that not that it's bad, not that the grinding is horrible, but to be able to remove a lot of that was uh was very helpful and sped it up a
0: lot, yeah, ah. Uh. <sighs> I'm thinking like is it worth like going back and playing like in my head
1: <laughs> only if you have your own your old save file.
0: Yeah, I don't. I would have to play the PSP version, I think. I would have to download it on my PlayStation Vita and start all over again. I'm not not sure I have the life left in me to be before I would finish it. It would take me many, many years, I think, to finish it. But it's a game I was lucky enough to experience when I had a lot of free time in university to get through it. It was so good. (laughs) But I imagine, though, going to a deserted place, it's the perfect game to have. It's one of those, again, like Xenoblade Chronicles where... You can just sit back on your beach and waste uh, a couple of hours towards grinding out to 200 or 300 hours. So I I think you're pretty set for this deserted island, Kelsey.
1: Yeah. Plus, you know, you can choose different love interests every time. So
0: Ah, that's you know. true. <laughs> got, you got to you got to woo everyone. You yeah. Got to get the the full in everything. Get your get your study up, get your intelligence up, everything. But Kelsey, I think it's about time that we uh we send you on your way, get you on the boat, ready to get to the deserted place where you can dig into all of these games that you've chosen.
1: I'm and it's
0: excited. Been, I, I, I'm excited for you because looking at this list again, I'm like, I really, I'm, I'm jealous. I wish I, I wish we were swapping places. I wish I had the free time to go through all these games again. <laughs> but Kelsey, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your list.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a really fun, fun way to talk about uh, not just favorite video games, but, you know, like practically favorite video games. The pra-
0: yeah, the, the, the practicality of some of our favorite games. It makes us evaluate what is worth our time these days when <laughs> what we need time for, maybe.
2: Absolutely. But
0: thank you so much for choosing a list that got me very excited. It's, it's an amazing pleasure to talk about some first. Monster Hunter World, Super Mario Odyssey, and Persona 3. A very, very, very fun games to talk about, and as always, before we send you away we have to we have to ask you the last question that we always ask people on final games, and of course, we talk about games on final games it's in the title. But if there's one thing that's very important to playing video games, it's the the way we play them. And uh, you are a big advocate for, you know, portable consoles and playing games portably and stuff like that. Um, but if you could only take one video game console with you, barring PC, because PC can emulate and do everything, barring PC, if you could only take one console with you, what would you take?
1: Now, my follow-up question is, does this include uh, future releases for this console?
0: let's say yes
1: okay then the nintendo switch is definitely my answer
0: that is that is a good way to go
1: yeah portability is so huge to me um i can play monster hunter double cross i guess i'll get better at japanese so i can still get my monster hunter fix Um, I assume there's going to be an Animal Crossing on there someday and between just Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild to be perfectly honest I will be set for quite a while.
0: Yes (laughs) that's very true (laughs) and eventually you know you'll get the Animal Crossing game that comes out on there whenever that is the Pokemon game that comes out on there whatever the next Zelda the next Mario is you, you you're pretty damn set I think.
1: Absolutely. And I would be surprised if there's never another Monster Hunter on the Switch or on a Nintendo console. I should say. Oh, absolutely!
0: It, I mean, it's Japan. They'll, they'll yeah. They'll find They're a way. They're going to want it there. They want it
1: to on, on a portable system, just like I, I do. mean.
0: Technically, they already have one on the Switch. It's just I only know they have Double Japanese. Cross,
1: but. And I, I did import that and played it a little bit, but it's, uh, my Japanese is just not quite there yet. It's, it's pretty <laughs> difficult, even with a high level of familiarity. There's
0: a hell of a lot of kanji <laughs> in the Monster Hunter Games. They are not easy. They are not easy to look at. Um, but Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and before we send you on your way, please tell the wonderful listeners who have made it this far where they can find you on the internet and what it is they should be checking out
1: absolutely so you can follow my youtube channel which is just youtube.com slash kelsey lewin i'm pretty simple like that uh, my twitter handle is at Kels lewin and i've got a podcast which is the game blitz show we've we're on itunes and libsyn and all of that fun stuff uh, and yeah that's I, oh and i guess i do twitch sometimes now too
0: so that's Ooh, twitch.tv
1: slash tentakelse um
0: and i guess and if, yeah doing,
1: doing if all it, kinds of crazy stuff these days
0: and i guess if anyone's in the area that you're in they should be uh coming into the store right
1: absolutely yeah pink gorilla games we have two locations in seattle washington so if you find yourself in seattle please stop by for a little bit of taste of japan
0: yeah japan in seattle sounds good thank you so much to everyone who's listened to this episode of final games as always you can find the show on Twitter at Final Game Show. You can find me Liam Edwards at Liam BME. Of course, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Overcast—all those wonderful podca- podcasting networks that you can find the show. Of course, if you're on there, you can rate and review the show. That would be great. Also, if you like podcasting, you like listening to my voice, you can go to the Dad and Sons podcast and listen to me, Matt Visual, and Super Bunny Hop talk about video games on a weekly basis where usually we talk about games from like 10 years ago that are irrelevant to this week, um, but people still listen somehow. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. And I hope to see you again next week. So for now, goodbye.